the Oscar goes to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinemust, the podcast where normally we debate the must-see status of the films included in the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, and our listeners decide if they should be included on the list of essential cinema. But not today. Today is a very special episode, first of its kind, in fact. And while we will still be talking about essential cinema, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of it rather than one specific film. So joining me in this red carpet undertaking is not one, but two absolutely incredible co-hosts uh going around the table here we start you know him as host of the best picture cast you've seen him here on cinemas talking about willy wonka and the chocolate factory brief encounter and whatever happened to baby jane it's kieran b kieran welcome back dude gentlemen always great to be here always great to be talking movies with both of you and i like a good challenge too and we certainly have that here today and i'm, I'm excited to be a part of it and nothing more challenging than working with our second co-host, who you know as the host of our sibling podcast, A Thousand One by One, also a host of Below Freezing. You've seen him here many times on cinemas talking about Pulp Fiction, Memento, The Graduate, and The Outlaw Josie Wales. It's Adam St. John. Adam, welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, how dare you leave out in Bruges, which is just, uh, that hurts. Yes. That hurts that you left off. Uh, in Bruges. I know that's not in the book, but... Um, so did A Thousand and One Movies. So. That's okay. <laughs> but we that's like okay. it. That's all right. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, what a task. What a task that uh, took what? up more brain space than I, I care to admit. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me talk about what the task is, and then we, we definitely have our time up here to gripe about it. So the, the task here, as I only know how, let me explain it in a roundabout way. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the essential Best Picture Losers. Now, these are movies that have lost the Best Picture Academy Award that we feel are essential viewing. The, the way we've come around to this, gentlemen, you participated in our most recent run of episodes. Um, recent for the listener, long time for us. You guys were part of this great game we had with other Best Picture cast hosts where you chose movies for each other. Adam, that Outlaw Josie Wales show was yours. Kieran, we had you on just last episode for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And during that run, I, I realized we accidentally hit 100 episodes. That was in the Planet of the Apes episode hosted by 1001 by one co-host and BPC co-host Joey R. So congrats to him for inadvertently being on the 100th episode. Um, we didn't catch that until midway through recording the Baby Jane episode with Kieran. So it felt like we needed to do something special. And I've been germinating this idea because I love... Uh, top 10 lists and, and kind of shows that break format a bit. And so I've been germinating this idea of talking about essential movies with any, any given category, a category rotating every time we do a show. And so we, I, I reached out to you two specifically for two reasons. And, and one was Adam, I said it on the show, but I still feel it truly honored to be a part of this trio we have here that you had on to talk about Ridley Scott's filmography and our top five Ridley Scott movies. That was a absolute blast. And I wanted to capture something like that. And Kieran, I'm a big fan of when Best Picture Cast breaks format a bit and you do your tournaments, you'll, you'll do stuff by genre and things like that. You have your holiday shows. So I kind of thought I'd get the cream of the crop, the two showrunners back in here to have this show. And we decided the category we'd want for this inaugural episode is Best Picture Losers. Uh, mainly targeted at Kieran's forte, talking about Best Picture Winners. Kieran, you say a lot that your show's not a who should have won podcast. I thought, well, what if we could have Kieran on for a who should have won kind of show? So um, we're here, we're on, but it's been a wild ride in show prepping, as we've all teased already 
truly a brain buster. Um, what did your guys' short lists start out with? Um, okay, yeah, I so I I went through everything, and and I want to say too, just to just out of the gate, you know, my list. I have several movies on my list that I wouldn't have selected to win the Oscar. So I didn't really look at it as 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 these these movies should have won, but they were runners up that really to me are some of the best movies that would have made very fine best picture winners. Uh, so I took all the nominees and, and, hmm. and I, my short list included 62 films uh, from looking at all the nominees. It just movies that, that, that mean something to me or sprung something to me or movies. I, I think that everyone should go out and see. Adam, what was yours when you started? Uh, it was probably around 50, I would say. Um, I didn't I don't I didn't tally it down. I, I, I saw that I, I had flipped over a page and I was like, this is too many movies. Um, so I didn't count them, but it was a lot. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I don't know the, the exact tally, but I was 50 plus. It, who knew that combing through 95 years worth of Best Picture nominees could le- lead itself to so many really essential movies. So this was tough. We settled on um, we're going to do 10. We're going to rank our top 10 lists here um another thing we decided to do just to to get a couple more movies we're dying to talk about on is we also settled on a list of what we're calling three darlings which the idea being um movies we love but that we don't objectively feel are necessarily essential nor do we feel like they ever really stood a chance at winning in the first place so those will be peppered throughout our list before we do dive in guys i was i was very curious the show was kind of born out of that idea that Academy gets it wrong so many times. Um, I so I I went to the socials. I, I reached out to, to our friends and peers, basically to ask them in ninety five years how many times do you think the right movie won, quote unquote, on right. You know, it's personal opinion and all that. So we got some great feedback. You know, we got um, tallies in from Andrew and Adam at Revisionist Almanac that Kieran just helped host the inaugural episode there. BPC's very own Oz pitched in here. We've got Tom Duncan from Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, Justin from the Casual Cinecast. We've got Steve G. A lot of folks pitched in to give us how many times they think the Academy picked the right movie out of all the nominees. Um, I am curious, just to go around, taking a little guessing game from Below Freezing here, how many times on average do you think our peers in in the the cinephile community think the Academy got it right? Adam, I'm going to start with you, and and you can give me a number or you can give me a percentage. Either way works. I mean, we're, we're, we're so close to 100 that a percentage would be close. Um, but I, I do think, I would say somewhere around 35%. I, I do think it's under. I do, I do think that uh, the casual moviegoer likes to gripe. So I think like 35%. 35%. Kieran, what are you sitting with? Yeah, I mean, knowing the, the Twitterverse and, and as, as uh, Adam said, the casual movie fan, I, I'm guessing they probably think that they got it right about a quarter of the time. So I'd say... One out of four, twenty-five percent. That would be my my guess from uh, from from the crew. Okay, well, according according to the crew, Adam, thirty-six point five percent is our average wow. here. A little <laughs> over a third of the time. So honestly, a little higher than I expected. Yeah. So we're talking about that other sixty-five percent. The guy, the guys that got left in the wings. So um. How we're going to tackle this, it'll be a ranked list. We're going to start at 10. We're going to work our way down to one. Anytime uh, a movie would be duplicated across one of our lists, we'll hold it. We'll table the discussion till the movie's at its highest ranking. Uh, we'll be sprinkling throughout not only those uh, darling picks I mentioned earlier, but we have 
uh, some listener blurbs and some listener lists to pitch in. Other folks uh, hit us up to tell us what they felt the most essential Best Picture loser was. So we've got their stuff that we want to share on air, too, that'll be sprinkled throughout, um, including a couple people I want to just start off with up front. Uh, some folks who just couldn't pick one, who had who had a same problem we had, that it's it's tough to take 95 years and boil it down to one movie. And I'm, I'm kind of farming this out to you guys to help me read because uh, I don't want to hear myself talk anymore. So, Adam, you mind telling us what Justin Enufa says the essential Best Picture losers are? Yeah, um, some some good films on here. Some films we'll probably hear a little bit more about as we go through our lists, um, I imagine. Uh, so uh, he lists Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, Star Wars, Goodfellas, uh, and the movie that we will definitely be talking about at some point, uh, a little film called Pulp Fiction. Um, Kieran, I think you got another list there. Ryan L. Terry selected uh, Sunset Boulevard, The Exorcist, Get Out, Network and The Godfather, which won. So maybe he meant Godfather 3. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I hope he did not mean Godfather 3. <laughs> Ryan Terry, host of our episode on Jaws and the Birds. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely knowing Ryan, definitely Godfather 3, no question. <laughs> um, and our last one from Joey R., who you know has his foot in all three shows. He... He came close. He he narrowed it down to two, and his picks are Sunset Boulevard and Doctor Strangelove. Uh, so he was really close. I don't know which one of those would come out on top for him, but um, like you said, Adam, we'll see if we, we make these guys proud if any of these movies are going to make our list. And one last rule before we get in. Uh, we have a bit of a game going between the three of us here, and Adam, you teased at it here. You said there's a movie on one of those lists we're definitely going to be talking about. We have tried our luck as uh, friends who've been co-hosting podcasts on and off together to see if we could guess each other's lists. So we have a bit of a competition here. We've each picked 10 movies we think are going to show up on the other two guys' lists. At the end of the show, we're going to be tallying them up. If there's any that uh, never got brought up, we'll maybe have a quick corner to talk about them. Winner of the show, so whoever gets the most correct guesses gets carte blanche for their next Cinemust episode. I will not editorialize. You, you guys know the process. I usually have you pitch me five movies and we whittle it down to one. You bring whatever movie you want. I got to talk about it if you win this competition. One thing I would like to lock in really quick. I think we equally struggled a bit with this. There's some that we feel like for sure on and there's others that we kind of just, we're, t we're taking a big swing on. I, I am curious to know... For, for both lists you have, so, you know, you have two lists, one for each other co-host, how many do you feel 100% confident in? Like, there is no way these movies are not on the list. For Adam, I think I have four. I think there's four movies for sure I got right about Adam's list. I think I have six for Kieran. Ooh, bold. I think I should have four for both of you. I, I would be very disappointed if I, if I don't have at least four. Um, I think I probably got Adam up to five, but um, I'll, I'll say four is what I think I, I did that I'm confident I have locked in. I'm going to go with a soft four and a solid two for both of you. Solid two, not a poop joke, uh, <laughs> but it came out that way. Um, <laughs> cool. I'm going I'm to lock those in just so we can either take a giant victory lap at the end of the show or a walk of shame, whatever it's going to be. Um, We've done, guys, this, this is well enough prep for a fairly straightforward top 10 list, so I'd love to get into it. So we're going to start at 10. We're going to work our way down. Um, Adam, I wondered if it would be cool if we started with your number 10 most essential best picture 
loser. Sure. Um, so I will say that my my 1098 uh are lower on my list because and really all these movies are deserving. I would say that 1098, the movie that won Best Picture that year is a movie that I also really enjoy. So like those were just slightly lower on the list. I think the movies that are higher are more like I, they probably either should have won or, or d- d- gave it a run for its money. Some of these other ones, they just were up against another kind of a juggernaut film. So there was, there's probably no way. Um, so to start with my list, um, my number 10, uh, it's uh, a little, a little Jimmy Stewart flick called it's a wonderful life, which will appear later. So we're going to table the discussion. <laughs> Kieran, over to you for number 10. I picked 10 movies that were nominated for Best Picture that either mean something to me, me or I think mean something to cinema, movies that people should go out and make a part of their life, uh, in my perspective at least. I'm sure some of these are going to tick some people off because, you know, that's how, that's how things happen around here. But um, they're not necessarily movies that I think should have won Best Picture that year. Some of them I absolutely think should have. But um, as Adam said, a lot of these are going up against some big joggernauts too. So um, I put those joggernauts aside. I looked at just all the nominees, and, and these are the 10 I came up with. And number 10, I think, is one of the most uh, spirited and unique nominations in the history of the Academy. It's a, a truly wonderful nomination considering the time frame and... Uh, everything that came before it and everything that would come after it. And uh, my number 10 selection is a tale as old as time. It's 1991's Beauty and the Beast. Not on my list. Did it make anyone else's list? It is one of my three darlings. Wow, it was a darling. Definitely not on my list. Okay, let's talk Beauty and the Beast. Of course, it goes up against uh, Silence of the Lambs, so it was not ever... There's no... no, uh, the alternate universe here where it wins. But um, the Disney brand and the Disney animated brand as it was kind of collapsing into the 80s and um, and was uh, was more or less saved by their leaning back into the, the musical genre of it all. And um, the, uh, the wonderful vocal performance from, uh, from the, the actors here. And, um, and then just there's, there's something a little extra emotional about this film, um, considering the, uh, uh, Alan Menken and, uh, uh, Howard, um, Ashman, Howard Ashman. Yeah. Who, who passed away, uh, Howard Ashman passed away of, of AIDS just as the movie was being released. And, uh, how much, how much of that really kind of bled into the making of the film and, and, uh, the story behind the film and, and really came into the pages of, of what, of what was presented on, on screen. I think one of the greatest animated films ever made and the fact that they pulled the trigger to nominate it for best picture in 1991 is just, is just so phenomenal to me. So uh, I, I had to, it was hard to whittle it down and make it here in the 10, but I was very, very happy to include it because I think it's one of the most unique nominations in the history of the Academy. Uh, agreed. It, it killed me not to put this on my list. Um, this, this is one of my te- favorite movies of all time. If, if this was that list, we'd be talking about Beauty and the Beast at a higher slot because it, it's, to me, it's the best animated movie. It's one of the supreme fairy tales, musicals, any, any of the boxes. And I'm with you that it's, it's so great. I always make the joke. It's the only movie or the only animated film to be legitimately nominated for best picture. Cause we've had Toy Story three, we've had up those are all after the nomination pool opens up to 10 beauty and beast is the only one that did it when it was at a five movie limit 
it's amazing. It's it's wonderful. I don't know what I could say about it that isn't just like me gushing with my Disney heart. Um, I'm so happy it made your list. Yeah, and I wish I could have taken a screenshot of your uh, reaction to me reading it off too. It's <laughs> <was> really great. <laughs> So excited. Uh, and I have to shout out uh, uh, Angela Lansbury's uh, um, one take performance of the song Beauty and the Beast is one of the greatest stories you'll hear and, and just a tremendous, you know, she, she didn't want to sing it because she didn't think her voice was still there um, and just absolutely crushed it in one take, brought the cast to tears. So, um, yeah, just just love, love me some Beauty and the Beast. It's the only Disney movie I can't pick my favorite song from. Like it's it's got such a stacked soundtrack that I can never single it down to the one banger. I don't know if you have thoughts on Beauty and the Beast, Adam. I keep cutting in with my enthusiasm. No, uh, I mean it, solid choice. Um, I don't think it even made my short list. To be perfectly honest with you, um, but I do think in terms of and and I will say the and I should have said this too that the caveat that really helped me. Um, having to narrow this list down was you adding the word essential, because if this was just my top 10 favorite movies that were nominated for best picture, th- my honestly, my list would look a lot different. Right. So I think beauty and the beast being on this list, I think actually is, is for what you've said about kind of like the legit animated best picture nominee and kind of where it stands in terms of Disney and, and everything else. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a fine selection. Like I, I, I honestly mean, I think it's, I think it's very good. I think it's a good choice. Why? Thank you. It's good. Yeah, it it is the movie that made me um, conceive of the idea of doing the three darlings because I just didn't want to not talk about it. But I, <laughs> for reasons I'll get into in a minute, it didn't make my list. Um, Kieran, anything else on Beauty and the Beast? No, I think we covered it good. I think a nice, nice. Uh, I like that. That was the first conversation we had to start this thing. That seems that seems apropos. Let's see if we can have another. Um, so before I get my number ten, there is there is a guiding rule set for my list that took me out of the stress of that 50 plus short list and actually making it 10. And that was that my list has one film per decade to represent it. Um, I took out the 1920s cause there's only like two ceremonies and nothing's going to make it. And I've also taken out the 2020s. We're a decent way into it, but I, I have a fear of recency bias. So when I take those two out, every decade gets a pick, which leaves me one floating pick wherever I want. So um, Beauty and the Beast did not make my 90s selection. That was what got it cut out. I had to follow my own rule set here. So I am, uh, I'm going to kick off. Number 10 is my pick for the 1930s. And being the 1930s, it has to come from the best year of the 1930s for movies, which is 1939. And my number 10 pick is The Wizard of Oz. Excellent selection which it looks like I'm the only one who called it, so we're going to talk about it right now. Um, and I think you both just scored points. I think this was on both your lists for me. <laughs> um, I just feel a little like I thought this one was kind of a, a curveball. I didn't think that anyone could call this. So here, here's why out of all the great movies in 1939, Wizard of Oz is on my list, is for the 30s to represent the, the glory of the studio era, it, it fits the best. It It is the, the giant soundstage, technicolor spectacular. It's a musical. It is iconic for its spectacle. It's iconic for its nostalgia. It's, it's a movie that has become possibly the most seen movie of all time worldwide, despite the fact that it doesn't have much of a story, <laughs> per se. 
I it, that's why it's down at 10 is, you know, the the interior logic for being such a great fantasy movie it you know really doesn't do a lot to establish like what's going on or you know make any logical sense, but it's charming as all get out. My my daughter walked in, she's she's 3. She walked in on the second half and I thought, "Okay, I'm going to have to turn it off." And and she was just with it. I think I think Toto helped her pull through with it, but she she even stuck through the flying monkeys, which I think made her nervous, but she stuck it out. To me, it, it represents all that is great about the 30s in Hollywood. It is iconic. It, it's one of those ones that like the winter that year's gone with the wind, and nothing is beating Gone with the Wind. <laughs> but it's it's kind of just a no brainer. Stood the test of time. It's still a delight and a treat to to watch. So had to make my list, but it is down at number ten. I mean, this definitely made the short list um, when I was when I was putting it together. Um, and I think I mean, I, I don't have any qualms. I think God, oof, the fact that I don't know this is bad. I'm pretty sure there's a thousand and one by one episode. There on, is on it. There it is. OK, we we certainly covered it. I mean, it is for all the reasons that you said. I mean, and it is it's surprising. And we are increasingly set in an era where movies are no longer being remembered the same way. You know, I mean, maybe Parasite of the last like 15 years will be a movie that like 30 years from now people will still be talking about. But increasingly, the turnover is so fast. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the movies that were nominated for picture, best picture last year. And I've already kind of, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, that was a that was a movie that came out. Um, So the fact that there is something that uh, that is as indelibly classic uh, as The Wizard of Oz that still that people still watch and connect to um, says says quite a bit. The thing that always gets me with Wizard of Oz is is the year that it comes out. I mean, the fact that this movie's from the 30s, you know, is is so wild. And we just talked on Best Picture Cast recently about, you know, kind of the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, where they did a lot of these spectacles for the theater that just don't age beyond that time. And uh, this is a spectacle from the 30s that, you know, your daughter can walk into today and be wrapped up and sucked into and it's it's really a wonderful achievement in cinema. Uh, you know, they're they're playing with the Technicolor versus the black and white, the characters, um, the the whole production of it. It's uh, I I am um, happy that someone put it on the list because it certainly belongs here. All right, let's let's round it back to number nine, Adam. Let's see if we can talk about this one. Uh, number nine is the the second most recent film on my list um it is uh it's quite a juggernaut of a movie um it, it it's big it's epic it tackles a lot of themes and it just happened to run into uh the coen brothers and so my number nine is there will be blood we can talk about it now because that is also my number nine. Oh, cool look at that All right you you go first you know i haven't revisited this in in a while and and so like there there are so many iconic moments from the movie, right? I mean, obviously there's uh, what I think is actually quite a a uh, engaging opening with the very the lack of dialogue and him just kind of on his own, uh, you know, it, it down in the we- uh, in the oil well trying to to find it. Um, there's the scene obviously in the church, you know, I've abandoned my child, and then the, I drink your milkshake. But the the last time I I know I watched this like for certain, I might have seen it between these times, but my oldest was like three months old. And so she had fallen asleep on me and I, I just started there will be blood. So she's asleep on my chest and there's the scene where he goes onto the train with his son and then he walks off the train as the train takes off. And like as big and epic 
as this movie is, it's also like really intimate and the like the family drama at the core of this movie hits just as hard as the fucking epic cinematography and score that's also in here. Like it is it is a really great movie and I think you know, I think we I think Daniel Day-Lewis gets a lot of, you know, a lot of guff for the method acting thing, but I really I really dig I think Daniel Plainview I I I want to say I think it's his best performance that's out there. It's the one he's going to be remembered for the most for sure. I don't want to I don't want to suck up too much cuz we have an episode on this. We did it with um Wages of Fear. Really good episode actually. But yeah, that I I made the point on the episode that it it feels like an amalgamation of all of the the vital cinematic influences. Like it it feels wholly unique, but it also feels like what kind of movie Kubrick or Robert Altman, uh, you know, a ton of other auteurs would kind of, would make today. It's it's left to print. Like it's it's just such a shame it came out the year it did because in my opinion no country for old man is a great winner and actually like if i'm casting my vote i actually did support no country over there will be blood it's just one of those years where you're like could could one of you just have released a year later because when you look at the 2008 lineup it's like it, it's pushovers like either of those movies would have wiped the floor with next year's competition so it's it's a shame they had to go up against each other in the same year yeah, I mean this this film uh is is one that I watched recently as well. Uh revisited recently. I hadn't seen it in several years and you know, to steal your your new budding catchphrase Adam, uh you know what movie still rips. Uh and <laughs> there will be blood still effing rips, let me tell you. Uh no, and it's it's one of those movies it just doesn't matter how long it is. You're in on every second of that thing. It is a wild Roller coaster ride uh, was one that was on my short list for sure, and I mean you said it perfectly, Mike. It's just so unfortunate it goes head to head with No Country for Old Men because this is like a slam dunk Best Picture winner in a lot of years. Yeah, and and I would also agree, Adam, that it is uh, Daniel Day Lewis's best performance in my in my opinion. We are also not alone. Um, friend of the show, occasional host of the show for um, the episode on Sideways. Um, Peterson Hill picked this as his essential best picture loser. He, he said, I'll go with There Will Be Blood. Rare that a movie this challenging is in line to take the top prize. It would have gone down as one of the greatest best picture winners in history. Kind of the epitome of the great films that lost. I, I think that kind of is echoed by our sentiments. Yeah, Grant Z is a big, uh, big There Will Be Blood guy. For sure. He's a who has hosted a Cinemust episode before, too. So Who couldn't be here because he's working on his oil rig. <laughs> That's right. Cool. Any other thoughts on There Will Be Blood? Nah, it just, it rips. It's great. Well, that was also my number nine. So, Kieran, you're you're going to close out number nine here, and then we'll move on. That's wild. You guys match up on number nine. That's so cool. Let's go! My guy. Okay. So, I uh, with my number nine, I have my Coppola selection here. So, we're going to talk some Coppola. Tell me what I want to hear. We're not going to be talking about Francis Ford Coppola, though. <gasps> uh, we're going to be talking about Let's Never Come Here Again because it would never be as much fun. It's 2003's Lost in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola, um, starring, starring uh, the wonderful Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. Uh, a, um, just a, a, a seminal movie in the 2000s for me. A wonderfully written, um, wonderfully toned film uh, about isolation, about uh, finding yourself in a, uh, a busy world. And, um, you know, f- for me, a, a lot of ways, for a lot of reasons, one of the films that, um, along with one of my darlings, 
uh, which we'll bring up later, and another film that was not eligible uh, because it was not nominated for Best pic- uh, Picture in uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I call them my uh, my trinity of sadness films uh, that uh, kind of just got me in when I was in college, got me into got me into the uh, emotional end of movies. And Lost in Translation, the performance from Bill Murray is a is is just a, a one of a kind thing that you know. It, you wonder if you'll ever experience a performance like that again because he's someone who's so cemented in comedy and in this comedic persona. For him to step into this type of dramatic role and go on a near Oscar-winning run with it um, is is a real wonderful thing. So, again, just a really kind of unique movie, at least by my estimation. I was very happy to be able to include it here uh, in this list. You know, the, the thing that stinks about keeping our list secret from each other is, uh, you know, you don't always know what to research. And it has been so long for me on this one that I, I don't know how much more crosstalk to have, except this is a great screenplay winner. I really, really like that this one at least took home that statue that year, especially that year. That's kind of, that's kind of like my one thing I can like very confidently say with this one. Um, so... I think the movie is fine. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been not too, too long. Uh, I'm trying to, the internet is failing me at the moment. Um, we did Sofia Coppola. Uh, we, ranked, we ranked her movies on the pod. And uh, I had it at four, which is, which is like the second half of her movies, which isn't necessarily saying the best thing. I don't hate it, uh, but it is definitely not my cup of tea. I think the best thing in it is Bill Murray. To be perfectly honest, I think I I'm actually not that in love with the screenplay as as a, as an original screenplay like Stan. Um, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah, fair, and I, I think it plays as the type of movie that's just not going to be for everybody. Um, it really spoke to me and um, was another one I was able to revisit this uh, this past year on another podcast, uh, the the GMO podcast, and um, you know it just really brought me back uh, to to when I first saw it and. Um, as far as first films go, I mean, I think it's uh, it's just it's top tier for me, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm I'm waiting for her to get kind of back to that, uh, back to that level at least for me, and hopefully she has it. She's still very young and still working toward. It. I haven't seen Priscilla yet this year, but um, yeah, to me, just a a a, uh, a bit of a unicorn of a film in this mix, so I had to include it. Very cool. Um, last question, Kieran. What do you think he says to her at the end? I think it's it, this is going to be an annoying film answer, but I think what he says to her is different for every person who's watching the movie. It's whatever, uh. Uh, whatever you would, uh, whatever you would say to yourself in that moment of of life where you're unsure about what your next crossroads, where your next crossroad is going to take you. Um, it's I don't think it's anything creepy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Right on. All right. We have covered my number nine. It is the same as Adam's. There will be blood. So Adam, we're going to kick it back over to you for number eight. I expect this to see on at least one of your lists, but I could be wrong. Um, And it just happened to run into uh, a man named David Lean. Uh, But my number eight is 12 Angry Men. That is on my list. Ah, there it is. All right. We'll table it then. Um, Kieran, number eight. Okay, number eight. I have uh, I've not really, it seems I've not really won Adam over yet uh, with any of these selections. And I'll tell you what, that's going to continue here with this pick. Um, <laughs> this, this one certainly is not going to win him over, so I don't have to worry about him putting this on his list. So Mike, I don't think it's on yours either, but hey, maybe it is. Um, I think this is one of the 
one of the most beautiful movies ever made as far as visuals go, the most beautiful looking films ever made. Uh, it's a visual spectacle. Uh, you mentioned David Lean, uh, Adam, and we're going to continue with David Lean here. And it's uh, 1965's Dr. Zhivago. Goat! <laughs> this is all you. <laughs> Mike's not hopping on board either. Uh, yes, so now... Oh, words are coming. <laughs> no, so I, and this is another kind of divisive film. I know a lot of, a lot of people... Um, you know, kind of either love it or hate it, uh, depending on whether, to me, whether you're able to to allow yourself to be enchanted by it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't allow yourself to be enchanted by it, you know, that's that's fine. That's, you know, it's your choice. Um, no, uh, so I revisited this one this past year at the cinema um, on the big screen and was really blown away by it. Um, the The way that this film is shot um, is is just to me beyond elite and to follow up to follow up Lawrence of Arabia with this film um, and the stakes that that are, are implied there uh, to me is such an achievement and and now I think that Lawrence Arabia is probably the best shot film of all time but Dr. Zhivago has a beauty to it that Lawrence Arabia doesn't Lawrence Arabia is has has a meanness and a spectacle to the epic but there is a, a, a romance to uh, to the way the camera works in Doctor Zhivago, and you know, I it like any type of epic romantic film. If you if if the romantic angle works for you, then the film is going to work for you, and it certainly worked for me. And uh, I think Julie Christie is just is wonderful in this film. Uh, she wins the Oscar that year, not for this film, but um, uh, rewarded that year. You know, uh, to me, it, it's it's in in with Lawrence Arabia being such a dudes movie and a movie about dudes doing dude things. It's nice to get the female perspective out of Doctor Zhivago and and have him tell that type of story again, like he did on former uh, episode of Cinemas' uh, A Brief Encounter, which we covered, Mike, which is uh, very much a female story as well. So um, yeah, I I. I get it's not going to be for everyone, but to me, I think it's an essential film that everyone should see and often gets overlooked because of his other epics, Lawrence Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai. This is kind of the third uh, the third sibling that doesn't uh, get as much love. So um, I had to include it on my list here today at number eight, 1965's Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, this this is the one that gets locked in the basement. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that has to bang for scraps of food because it's it's uh it's being neglected and and rightfully so because uh you know doctor um no I, don't, I uh no I don't know I I watched this when we were I watched this actually when we were prepping for Lawrence on a thousand and one and the honest like I the two things I'll say is I I can't remember anything about it and I'm glad I'm able to like tick it off the box um like the, it it made no impression on me which is kind of a rough thing to say and I'm not I'm not even saying that to be glib but like from the guy who brought us you know Bridge and Lawrence um and Brief Encounter I which I only watched because you did it on Cinemas and I really enjoyed Brief Encounter quite a bit um it's yeah, yeah I don't know I don't know you're right Kieran you're, you're the, the the track record of these is I'm not <laughs> thrilled with these choices <laughs> yeah you you stand alone man this is I I've seen this movie once I did see it in a movie theater um and I I think i'd echo a lot of what adam said it's like i wish i could remember more of it which is surprising from the director 
But, you know, I, I don't want to get into like how much I, I don't like it or don't remember it. I'll, I'll say that's, that's very well said, Kieran, in terms of like why it's here, both in terms of what it offers from Lean's filmography and that, that female perspective is a good point. I, I think my takeaway here is I hope you win the, the guessing competition so you can, that could be your pick and you force me to do an episode <laughs> on it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I might have to force Adam to join. <laughs> oh boy. That should be the caveat actually right there. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, I, no chance I had that as a guess for you. Did, yeah, ditto, ditto. Yeah. Okay. Kieran, anything else to say on Dr. Zhivago? Oh no, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good. I, I would encourage if there's people out there like Adam who saw it a, uh, a little while ago and don't remember anything about it, uh, go give it a second chance because I, I do think it's also one of those that the second viewing is uh, is a little better than the first because you kind of uh, have an idea of the world you're going into and you can pick up on some of the nuances. And I got to shout out Rod Steiger, the wonderful Rod Steiger, uh, just crushes it in that film too. A great a great supporting performance there too. Well, let's let's let the number eight pick be. The let's disappoint Adam slot. Yes. Here. I, I think it. I'd like. So uh, for me, it's the 80s at eight. Adam, my number eight pick is dedicated both to you and our, our dear friend Ian Woodington, who we miss. You've covered it on a thousand and one by one. My number eight pick is E.T. the extraterrestrial. That was a, that, that I'm bummed. I'm bummed because that was a last minute scratch for the guesses for you. I'm really pissed. Damn me it. too. Okay. Me too. Yeah, we'll we'll talk in darlings how I I know this is a fake out. So here here's where this is coming from. One, the '80s um, shortest shortlist I had. I'm actually not crazy impressed with uh, the nominees in the '80s. Not to say that like, they're all bad movies, but when we talk about you know what's essential, you know there weren't a ton that I was scribbling down here. So it it came down to a handful. I, I went with E.T. because it, it seems to represent the era, the um, kind of the glib spectacle, the, the corporations taking over. But, but it also doesn't. And, you know, the, re- the reason this pick's dedicated to you and Ian, Adam, is, you know, you, you have a show that is, is far from a hatchet job on E.T. Honestly, most of your gripes is uh, with the bombastic score. Um, but, you, you know, you, you kind of pepper it as... Um, it's a simple movie. It's a family movie and, and, and all the above. And those, those are its strengths to me. It's one, one of the most heartwarming movies ever to me. It's a movie that devoid of the, the craft. And I do think it's well shot. I think it's a great score. I know it is bombastic. I know overly so because they put the, the scene together and they have John Williams scored it. John Williams wrote an opera and then they put shots to that. Um, but, but devoid of all the good craft that's in it, to me, it's a movie that is the potentially the most a director has ever just had their heart poured onto celluloid. It's before the Fablemans, I think you could argue it's Spielberg's most personal movie that a lot of his fascinations with suburban hopes, um, you know, magic in the ordinary world, you know, childhood that the movie is about the last swan song of childhood and the loss of innocence that's packaged in this very fun thing. I think it's cool that it was the, the highest grossing movie ever for uh, 11 years before Jurassic Park. And that's, that's kind of crazy to me. As, as great as E.T. is, it's kind of nuts to me it could ever make more money than Jaws or Star Wars. I think it just connects. And it connects in a way that I can't always pontificate on. And, you know, it's I, I don't have beef with Gandhi. Like, I, I wish E.T. had won. 
I don't, Gandhi's not one of the worst to ever win, but I always love to play that card that every ET fan loves to to play where we say, Richard Attenborough himself said that E.T. was the better movie and should have won. But I, I just, I think it stood the test of time. I know it's the one Spielberg most wants to be remembered for. I think he wants to be remembered for it more than he wants to be remembered for Schindler's List. So t- to me, it, it bridged that gap between 80s Spielberg fun, which I do love, but it, it is also a film of heart. It's a, it's a great movie. I think its simplicity is its strength, but I think it has a lot to say. Now, Kieran, uh, you have the Fablemans at one, right? That's that's right. We can that didn't mean to spoil the list, but but we got the Fablemans at one. Well, I convinced myself that the Fablemans won the Oscar, so I didn't have it eligible. <laughs> no, here's here's what I'll say about ET. Um, I think for a, like again, I think like the reason why I'm not surprised that like Wizard of Oz is on a list and, and honestly, even some of the choices I have, this is a very iconic movie and it works. I mean, I don't, and I don't mean that like I, it might not be my, my favorite Spielberg, but you, you really can't deny it. You cannot deny it. Yes. I, I use this as an example, the score in ET as an example of like how music can lead our emotions in a very overt way, but sometimes that's what we want. And I, I won't knock the, the visual effects and what they were able to do back in 82, right? 82? 82. 82? Yeah. Um, so no, I don't, I, I don't think this is a, a, a bad choice. Like, it's not my favorite film, but I, I, I totally get it. I, I absolutely get it. I mean, we get fucking Amblin, right? We get Amblin from it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, you know, I'm one of those people who want that sometimes with the score. And I miss the Williams-esque scores in films these days, the big symphonies and the big productions and all that, you know. You know, of course, it's executed in a Jurassic Park a little better than it is in E.T. maybe. But I, I, I you know, to me, when you throw E.T. on and you hear that score, it, it sprinkles you with a little nostalgia and it sprinkles you with the going back to another time. And, and, and I like that in films. So um, I understand the criticisms of telling the viewer how to feel and whatnot, but it is John Williams. So, you know, I, you know I'm OK with that. He's, he's allowed to tell me how to feel. He's John Williams. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like E.T. I like it. It was on, it was one of those that was just on all the time uh, as a little as when I was a little kid and didn't really revisit until, um, you know, just a, probably around when you guys were covering it. But yeah, I, li- I like E.T. and, you know, not one of my favorites, but um, I, I should have known that you'd have it on your list there, Mike. I'm disappointed with myself. It's a favorite. It's, it's not my favorite Spielberg, um, but, you know, I have a soft spot for it and came to it pretty. I was in my teenage years. I saw it for the the 20th anniversary. So first time I saw it was a big screen. So I'm carrying some nostalgia in there. But I, I think it's easily the essential best picture loser of the 80s. And for the record, I think what Bill Murray whispers into Scarlett Johansson's ear is, I'll be right here. But he says it in that voice, too. I like it. Um, so, gents, kind of kind of to split things up here, we, we're for, through our first three picks. We, we have so many movies to talk about um, because we've also introduced the idea of the darlings. And this was a, a way to assuage the pain of cutting that short list of 50 plus down to 10. I said, oh, you know, let's we get three more apiece in there. So the concept of the darlings are... This is a little less of the objective thing. This is a little more of the personal, like these are movies we love. They were nominated. Maybe they didn't really stand a chance ever of winning. They don't, you know, really fit in that essential category, but we still wanted to talk about them. Mine has been spoken for. My my uh, number three darling was Beauty and the Beast and for all the reasons Kieran said, so we don't have to, to dwell on it. But let's go reverse order here. Kieran, What what is one of your three darlings that didn't make your final cut, but that you did, you did want to talk about? 
Now, I fear that it may be on a list here. I know it will not be on your list, Mike, because there is a episode of Cinemus on it where I believe you might have trusted it. So it won't be on yours, but it might be on Adam's here. And this would be another one that came out around that same time. And it is uh, starring Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden Church. It's a potent, potable movie we all know as Sideways. Here. And I'm not drinking any Merlot either. I have some Cabernet <laughs> over here. I promise you that. To survive. Adam, is, is, did Sideways make your list? No, it's not on my list. Um, and it's... Whoa! I, 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 listen, it's a tough list. It's a tough list, man. I know. I, I'm, just, I'm shocked. No, it is tough. No, no judgment. I'm just shocked. No, uh, it's yeah, not. But no, what a what a beautiful movie. You know, I, I was I watched um, so this. I don't hope this will be too dead. I saw American Fiction the other day. You know, everybody gripes about like they don't make comedies anymore. And I was like, no, they do. They actually have consistently made comedies forever. They're just not always the yuck, yuck, Adam Sandler, you know, fucking Will Ferrell kind of movies. Like they are like sometimes there there's something else going on within them. And Sideways is one of the funniest and heartbreaking films that's out there. And like, that's, that's so great that a movie can do that, that a movie can get you crying from laughter and crying from just like, oh, that's just uh, so gut-wrenching. Um, no, because Sideways is beautiful. What a beautiful movie. Um, yes, Sideways rocks. Yeah, and, and you know, it's one of those, it's one of those Oscar nominees too that, you know, I, I feel like the Academy has looked back on a performance like, like Paul Giamatti's and they were like, you know, I wish we could have that one back, you know. <laughs> yeah, now they do keep yeah. they do keep nominating these biopic uh, roles, and I know Adam that drives you crazy. With the uh, you know that year it was Ray, it would go on and and on and on and on all the way to Elvis. But um, you know, I I do think that there's some regret there that he should have that he should have uh, should have, I don't even was he even nominated no, that I don't wasn't. think he was nominated no, that nope. year. Yeah, that's a that's a bad job. That's a bad job. That. But listen, as I said, the the trinity of the trinity of sadness. Um, these. This movie in particular, watching Paul Giamatti's character go through what he's going through and and doing so with with the utter poetry that is in the screenplay, uh, it is is it's masterfully written, it's masterfully uh, executed through through performance and um and it's funny as hell too. It really, it, it, it while you're while you're going through this gut wrenching experience, you're doing it while you're laughing. You're doing you're doing it with a smile on your face. So, uh, just a, a real fun movie for me. Um, and uh, I, I had to have it in here somewhere. We did top ten favorites on uh, on best picture cast, and it like just missed my top ten cut. So this was my uh, opportunity to give it a little love here today. Oh, great! I'm glad you could. It, Sideways is good. I did send a trust it, and I I talk on that episode like. I kind of just missed the boat on it. I feel like if I was one year older and got into indie movies that year, like Sideways would be way more on my wavelength, but it's, it's good. It is really good. Adam, how about you? Number three, darling pick. Um, yeah, these aren't, these aren't ranked. Um, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm definitely going to, I'll save one for the end. Cause I, I just, I have to, um, um so this, I think would actually be the most recent movie on, uh, uh, that I would, I'll mention. Um, and it's from, it's from 2014. And uh, uh, the the two worst words in the English language are "good job" and mm. uh, "whiplash" is one of my darlings. So that's one we're going to talk about um, on the main oh, on the main yeah. stage. Oh yeah, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I, right. I will, then I will shut my mouth. Yeah, let's do it. 
So while Adam has dis- has been disappointed with uh, with my list so far, two of his selections <laughs> we haven't spoken about yet. So uh, so maybe I'm getting them on the other side. Excellent. I the mean, B, the B the B side yeah, of the yeah, tape. Top yeah, half yeah. is the way to get it. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, before moving to our number seven picks, I want to go over to our listeners with some of their picks for um, the essential best picture loser gents. If if I could turn you back to our Excel spreadsheet um, to read off a couple of those. Absolutely. So Sean. Morden Hall, uh, one of the oldest film critics at the New York Times, uh, apparently, uh, says 42nd Street, which makes sense because Morden Hall was probably reviewing that film at the time. Uh, 42nd Street totally revitalized the musical genre that would enjoy its golden age in the classic era and gave a name to Busby Berkeley and way better than Cavalcade. Um, Ditto the Cavalcade thing. And if you don't know who Busby Berkeley is, (laughs) holy smokes, you should really just look up Busby Berkeley choreography. It is gorgeous. And listen to the Cinemust episode on the Gold Diggers of 1933, in which we talk a, a little bit about 42nd Street. Um, Kieran, do you ditto the better than Cavalcade? I, I prefer 42nd Street to Cavalcade, yes. I, I, am, not, I am not going to, uh, I'm not going to take on that, that battle there. 42nd Street is a fun one. Yeah, I, this is great. You give me the Marvel movie. Uh, this is <laughs> this is kind of rib we got going over here, right? So the yeah, the uh, the the cinephile hissy fit podcast uh, wants me to have a hissy fit as I read this one. They select Black Panther, and Black Panther uh, the the podcast uh, writes a uh, Black Panther was a big one because it represented a cultural movement beloved by most that went against the template of what an award winner or even a real cinema should be. And that uh, is still argued about today, certainly by me. Uh, and uh, Mad Max Fury Road is somewhat related to that, they add as well. So, um, no, no, listen, I'm, I'm joking around. Uh, I know a lot of people love Black Panther, and it was, um, it was important to, um, to a lot of people. And uh, I appreciate that. I, I, have, I have my uh, fun with the Marvel, the Marvel heads over the, over, over, uh, over the, uh, the Twitterverse and all that. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, I can see how um, many would feel that as an important piece of that genre, at least. Well, we'll have you back when we do this show in the category as essential Marvel movies. You're our number one guy for it. Please don't. I'm, I'm busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, last before we move on, I've got Chris Moffat, whose pick is Brokeback Mountain. Chris says, uh, Citizen Kane is the obvious example, but in terms of modern film, I'd say Brokeback Mountain was key to getting a lot of LGBT films greenlit in the 2000s. And I, I, I think this was the... Actually, no, 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 this wasn't the year I got interested in the Oscars, but this was one of the early ones where I was like, I was watching the ceremony every year and I remember the waves of the scent and, you know, we still, <laughs> we still talk about the crash win and I, I, Brokeback was not my pick for the year, but like, it would be one that like, I would vastly prefer like the statue because it, Brokeback Mountain is pretty great. What was your pick for that, for that year, Mike? Munich. Munich is, um, Munich, Munich is an underseen, extremely underappreciated Spielberg movie. Oh, I'm sorry. I fell asleep thinking about Munich. Uh, um, you, <laughs> no, I'm alone. Capote guy guy. on this show. <laughs> Getting feisty tonight. I, sorry. Munich um, is. Listen, w- when we were one of our odd rankings that Ian and I did was the Spielberg in the oh, 2000s, and uh, such a good show. And and I I actually really love Munich, and boy does it. I feel like it just botches that ending. And ending. Listen, endings are hard. They are. But like, I yeah. just don't. I can't. I can't do it. The, I, yeah. The the last shot is so great. It, it's the sex scene that is like ah, the you sex were scene is bizarre. You, you had it. You were bizarre. so close bizarre. and you tripped. 
a little bit at the finish line. I think what, I think he gets it. The last shot is so good. Did like did like <laughs> did Spielberg take Cialis and just like this is what we're gonna do? There's <laughs> there's there's a comment there being made about the connection between the intimacy of sex and violence, or it's just not handled well. Sorry, sorry, Chris. You you wrote in to talk about Back Mountain. We talk more about music. <laughs> well, music. That's it. And and I do here. think uh, our 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 old friend Ian, uh, I think, was on record as saying Munich was a masterpiece. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, he's, he's no, correct. He, he, he Ian was big on it. In fact, uh, bringing up ET, we we both replaced ET. Um, and his his mm-hmm. replacement was Munich. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't actually. You said it should stay there. You, but you said oh, if. Oh, you if, said if I, something I said had to me. come out. Okay. Yeah. 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 You said, but I think you picked Lincoln. Anyway, we're. we're I definitely did not pick Lincoln. There's no way I picked Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have more uh, listener blurbs to to get in, but we're gonna get back into our list. So we're back here at number seven. So Adam, you're back up in the rotation. What do you have here for number seven? Um, at number seven, uh, I'm going with, uh, a movie that was one win away from winning every single acting Oscar that they have. Uh, and if it wasn't for Humphrey Bogart, it would have happened. And, uh, my seven, everything, everywhere. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. No, uh, no, I'm talking about, uh, 1951's a streetcar named desire. I don't think that's on your guessed. guys' list. I should have guessed this for it's you. Not. This was one I scratched out. Ah, talk to us about it. I don't know if it would have made my list necessarily, but um, last last academic year, I taught theater history both semesters, and we talk about Streetcar Named Desire, and I showed it both both semesters. And um, I am just, I, I think it's not just because I really like the source material. And yes, I have, a, I have a theatrical connection to Streetcar, but like this really is i think this is the best on-screen record of that shift from the early 30s and 40s acting to everything being a kind of kind of bit over the top to this real like method like we're bringing Stanislavski over from Russia and we're doing like we're throwing it on in the Elia Kazan group theater sort of way and watching those mainly those four performers Brando, Lee, Novak and Malden just really like eat up that Tennessee Williams dialogue. I think it's it's probably the simplest film I have on my list in terms of how it's shot, but like the the closed quarters nature of it, I I just think it's a really great film. Kind of like, like kind of like 12 Angry Men, right? It's we're basically in one location and watching these actors just eat up this material. So streetcar. I love this selection. Um uh it, just a wonderfully, wonderfully acted film. And and it's just kind of like nuts and bolts of putting a, a stage play onto screen and and have it um you know just be preserved as a classic so uh great selection good spot for it love it yeah it's it's a, a ditto on like how how performances should be in a movie um you know we, we have an we have an episode on african queen which which is a movie i do love but it has so many problems and and we did talk in that about like it's just the Bogart thing, happy as we are to see it, it's definitely the Academy saying, like, sorry we fucked up Casablanca and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> like, this this really should have been Brando, or, or literally about anybody else in the category. And they def- they definitely messed up this. And, you know, Kieran, crosstalk welcome, but American in Paris, man, this... <laughs> How dare you? Come on, I am not. I am not a huge streetcar fan, but absolutely it needed to be in there over in American in Paris. American Paris is poetry in motion. Yeah. Yeah. I also love A Place in the Sun, which is the director winner that year, um, was on my uh, short list for this too. So we almost had two uh, 
two from the same year. There, there were that, but. a couple that could have slotted in there. So I, I love this and feel embarrassed I didn't pick this as a guess for you because it seems so obvious in hindsight. It's a great one. <laughs> My daughter's name is Stella. Yeah, geez, how, how did how did we how did we miss it? Um, it is it is one of those crazy Oscar facts, though, that it won three acting awards and Brando wasn't one yep, of them. Right. Like that's a, right. yep. that is just like a mind blowing fact. Yep. Stella. All right, Kieran, number seven. Okay, number seven time for me, and this is it's gonna be it's gonna be Kubrick time here it's we're, we're going we're going down the, the Kubrick road you know I mentioned before that you know I think that Lawrence of Arabia uh, was the uh, best shot film of all time if if I wasn't allowed to choose Lawrence of Arabia I think I might choose this as the as the next best shot film of all time uh, it's going to be 1975's Barry Lyndon uh, which uh, lost the Oscar to one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Probably the strongest best picture lineup uh, in the history of the Oscars. That's, that's a hell of a year. Yeah, and this is a film I also this past year was able to revisit on the big screen, and was just uh, blown out of my shoes. Um, really, from every aspect of it, how influential this thing is uh, from uh, you know just just in the the script alone and the the process of the film alone of just kind of like set piece after set piece after set piece in the journey. I mean, this is Coen Brothers 101 here um, with how this thing is. I, I, I forgot how funny the movie is. I mean, it had the whole theater just in, in stitches the whole time, bursting out laughter. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a really stellar performance from Ryan O'Neill, uh, surprisingly enough. And uh, I, I really just love the hell out of it and think it's, it's just a... a a piece of cinema that should be in every single person's repertoire uh, from from year to year. And if if they're interested in in kind of giving themselves an education on film and and whatnot, that this is you know they we always go to the you know to the um, Citizen Kanes of the world and whatnot. This should be right there with all of them. And I, and I think it's Kubrick's best film. All right, Adam. Um, I not the Kubrick I'd picked for you. Um. No, I, uh, I, I think Barry Lyndon is a, a really, really fun movie. I mean, it's, it's not my favorite of the 75, but it's, it's definitely not my least favorite. Um, I remember when I, when I watched it, I hate, I hate being so cliche, but the whole, like every frame of painting, like, and literally, like literally taking paintings and basically putting them on screen. Um, and the brilliant, I mean, I literally just, it's so funny you say this, Karen. I literally watched like a 15 minute YouTube thing on the beauty of Barry Lyndon cinematography like a week ago and like having to find special, special shutters and, and, and film to shoot on, to shoot the low light with the candles, like only somebody as like so specific and precise as Kubrick would do that would get it to work um and and it's the kind of thing that that very few filmmakers do today because it's so easy to just say oh we'll do it in post or we'll do it with CG like no fuck that just do it do it for real and and Kubrick did um if even if you just take away the story and the acting like it is it is a beautiful film it really is it is a gorgeous film yeah, I'm I'm really do a rewatch. The the funny story here is Ian convinced me to to buy the Criterion Blu-ray and I you know, I I don't 
I never said I don't like it. It was it kind of like you, Adam. It's like it's it's not my favorite Kubrick. But, you know, him talking it up so much, I was like, OK, I'll buy it. And to this day, that Blu-ray is just sitting on my shelf. I haven't watched it. And I, I just really need to, again, because it, it unlike a lot of movies we've talked about so far, there are things that have left lasting impressions on me, even just, uh, you know, minute moments, dueling scenes and things like that. The cinematography, of course, like it's it is a great one. And that's you said it, Karen. It's it's greatest sin is that it was released in 1975, which is potentially the best lineup, a best picture race ever had. Yeah, yeah. The the whole natural lighting of it all. And Adam, I don't think I could say it better than you did. It's just it's something they just don't do anymore. And the fact that we have it is, you know, hopefully testament that someone will go back and check it out and say, hey, you know what, it's time we do this again. So, um, you know, I, I, I always I always lean toward the practical in films and the things that, that were done tactically and and done on site and on scene. And, you know, I'm hoping that and, and there's certain filmmakers that we still have that that lean that way, too. I'm hoping that we have a next wave of filmmakers that, that go back to that, too. So. All right. My number seven pick is my 1970s pick. And um, for this for this one, I kind of had to I forgot myself a little. The 70s, I really struggled with my pick. And I, I ultimately felt I had to get a little more objective and be like, what is the essential 70s best picture loser for me? <clears throat> so uh, number seven, my pick from director Sidney Lumet is Network. Which it looks like we're talking about now. Um, when I, when I think of the 70s, I've said this on basically every show I've, we've ever done on Cinemus that covers a 70s movie, is it's, it's the decade of disillusionment, of distrust with authority, government, society. It's, it's a downer decade. Um, it's also the decade where these voices of New Hollywood find their stride and take over. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to have a Jaws here. I'd love to have a Star Wars here. But Network... Um, you know, as it said, it's it's a prophetic movie. It's not only one of these powerhouse acting movies. It's not only a powerhouse screenplay. I mean, it it basically predicted how television was going, but to an extent, basically content creation and and you know how that industry worked. I think so much of it is still applicable today. Which um, the '80s movie podcast agrees with me. They wrote in this is their pick for the uh, most essential best picture loser. They said. In 1976, Network was a better movie than Rocky, and in the ensuing decades, it's become a sadly prophetic movie. Patty Chayefsky saw the future of television and tried to warn us. Not enough of us were paying attention. Still just amazing. I, I think, you know, we, Adam, I think there's like a, some poetry between you and my set number seven picks, because to me, this is, this is another one that it's acting win after acting win after acting win, and everything is a powerhouse. It's incredible. It's great. To me, it's it's one of these movies that's I feel the one criticism you can have of it is like it's maybe a little too melodramatic, but that's that's the flavor and they know what they're doing with it. To me, like in a decade where I could have picked so many movies, and I say this is quintessentially the 70s. I had to go with Network. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's been it's been a hot minute since I've seen it, but um, you know, I'm I'm currently reading that like the Oscar Wars book right now, the the Shulman book, and I, I'm really really digging it. But like the thing is, is that when you hear about some of these people, these you know movie and TV executives behind closed doors, like yeah, maybe it seems a little big and bombastic on screen, but it certainly seems like those people's demeanor are are close to what we saw in Network. Um, <laughs> and I, I and now and now I there's one movie I haven't seen, and I don't want to derail us too much, but like everybody talks about seventy five. 
But 76, I haven't seen Bound for Glory, but 76 is Rocky, All the Presidents, Men, Network, and Taxi Driver. So, like, I mean, they were just, they were really fucking cranking out bangers in the 70s. Yeah. It, that's another one. That's And I, I haven't seen Bound for Glory either, but I kind of feel that that's the one thing that keeps it like there's probably something in, that should be in that spot that would make it on par with 75. But yeah, that's a tough year. And that's that's the thing is like, I don't begrudge Rocky's win. I think Gro- Rocky is actually a fantastic best picture win. It's it's just like, crap, man. Like when a bunch of geniuses all make some of their best work in one year, like only one person's going to take the statue home. Uh, yeah, Network was a, was actually a first watch this past year for me. Uh, it had just evaded me up until this time. And it is chilling uh, how you use the word prophetic. It is. It's watching it for the first time in the 2020s. Uh, it's like, whoa, uh, this is they, they, you know, we're, we're really uh, seeing into a crystal ball uh, back then. And, and uh, the performances are, are killer. Um, Peter Finch and um, William Holden. Uh, is so good in it. Uh, uh, Faye Dunaway, uh, just a wonderful cast and a movie that like we see with a lot of these 70s movies, as you just said, it's like, how did this not win? And when they're all clumped together there like that, that's, you know, there's there's a bunch of others, I'm sure, that will that will come up still. Um, but yeah, a hell of a decade in film. And yeah, Network's a great choice. And that pushes us into number six. We're, we're rounding out the back half here. So Adam, what do we got for number six? So number six, uh, this was uh, there were there were two movies essentially up, not necessarily for this slot, but to be on the list. And and Karen was giving me some some guff uh, prior to recording about doing a rewatch, and I had to rewatch these two because I had I I had two noirs that were basically fighting to be on the list, um, and I rewatched them both. And uh, the one that didn't make my list uh, was um, Chinatown, uh, that just got bumped off. But my number six is a, a movie that I had so much fun rewatching the other day. It's Double Indemnity. I'm so excited. Not on my list. Got bumped, and it was the hardest one <laughs> that got bumped off my list. So I'm so, so happy it's here. It's just such a, you know, I mean, it's, just, it's, 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 it's Billy Wilder, right? So, like, you've got a very, got very competent director you know, like if you take it, if you think about the things that make noir noir, right? You think about the um, the Dutch angles. Well, this doesn't have any. Like it, it, and like I just watched it a few days ago. So if it does, it, it evades me. But it's just it, it's not shot like a noir necessarily. Um, the uh, the voiceover isn't just the random guy's voice coming over. Like they build up like he's basically confessing on the recorder. So like everything feels great. All the it's a very tight screenplay. I mean, it's it's Billy Wilder and Raymond Chandler. I mean, come on. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Uh, oh, I'm, I feel so bad. It's Barbara Stanwyck, and I can't think of his name right now, and I feel bad. Is it Fred McMurray? Fred McMurray, yeah. Okay. The first time they meet, and I, and this gets mentioned all the time when you talk about movies from this era, but like having to work within the Hayes Code and use the dialogue to have a sexually suggestive conversation without just saying like, hey, I want to I wanna have sex with you. Um, that first conversation between those two is great uh, it is great yeah i i just what a what a terribly fun movie that was boy calling billy wilder a competent director it's almost like an wow, insult you know <laughs> you know what i mean come on a <laughs> movie that invented noir pretty much um yeah double indemnity is great man um i'm happy someone maybe it's it. not the only wilder we'll get i feel like there's a very iconic one that hasn't got been said yet but um 
Perhaps, perhaps. Double Indemnity is the one for me. That's that's the one that I really enjoy. Yeah, I I'm so happy this. I like jumped up and down like I just won an Oscar when you named <laughs> it. It killed it killed me to bump it off. I think like the noirishness of it was like why I wanted to keep it on, but why I bumped it off. But you know, Kieran just said it like basically invented film noir, feels classical and revisionist at the same time. Edgar G. Robinson. If we ever do one of these shows where it's essential supporting characters, his turn as Barton Keys is like maybe my favorite supporting character in any movie ever. He's <laughs> utterly fantastic. It's it's a joy. It's hard boiled. The dialogue's great. It's it's a perfect noir. We've we've talked about it um, because what won that year? Going my way. Going my way won. We, so we talked about it a bit on the Mildred Pierce episode because we have the. Um, should Mildred Pierce have beat Lost Weekend? And my vote was like, yes. And I don't like to take gold out of Billy Wilder's hand, but the caveat there is he had to win everything for double indemnity the way he damn well should have in the first place. So this is 100% support this. I love it. Kieran, you were going to say something. I was just going to yeah, say yeah, going, yeah. going My Way is a wonderful film. Sure. But come on, it's double indemnity. <laughs> All right, Kieran... Number six. Number six. And this is a um, this is a real hometown choice here at Cinemus uh, because this is a film that you, Mike, introduced to me, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I don't know if you did it personally. You did it through your show. Um, but um, every yeah, recommend this, I make is personal. <laughs> I love this you is a this is a film that I watched. During a time where I was kind of just crossing a lot of movies off lists to to listen for either listen for podcasts or just listen, I haven't seen this, I haven't, I haven't um, seen this, and this is one that just stopped me in my tracks. The performance, the direction, the whole nine yards of it, and it's uh, it's 1979's Bob Fosse directed All That Jazz, starring the wonderful uh, Roy Scheider. I mean, when I say that the movie stopped me in my tracks, I mean, I was, you know, it's one of those, you have a movie on and you're like, you know, you're folding laundry, you're folding clothes. I stopped and then was just nose in front of the screen, you know, like a, like a seven-year-old watching, uh, watching anything. Um, this is a, a hypnotic performance by, by Roy Scheider, um, a, a, a wonderfully themed movie about the torture of genius uh, what you have uh, accomplished in life, and what you uh, what you've left behind when you go. Um, I, I had to pull a quote from it here because it just to me sums up the movie uh, really well. Nothing I ever do is good enough. Not beautiful enough. It's not funny enough. It's not anything enough. Now when I see a rose, that's perfect. Um, this is another great year in film. We have the apocalypse now of it all. We have the uh, Kramer versus Kramer. And I've always been a huge Kramer versus Kramer fan. But I've kind of been converted to a 1979 all that jazz guy. I, I own the Criterion. is one of the first Criterions I bought. And this has just become one of my favorite films. Um, and if you haven't seen all that jazz, please go out and, and check it out. Adam, I've never in your expertise in the world of theater. I've never talked to you about Fosse. What are your thoughts on all that jazz? Um, um uh, I don't have any. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I still have not. Now, I want to I, I tell you, I did some math when my youngest was at swim yesterday. So 
assuming that there are at least nine nominees for Best Picture this year, that'll bring the total of Best Picture losers to right, like right at 500, which means there have been 500 films that were nominated and did not win. And I did the math. This is how much of a psycho I was. And I've seen, I think, just under 300 of them. So there are pretty good. a lot of those are in the 40s and 50s, trust me. Um, and for whatever reason, I just have, I still haven't gotten to all that jazz. I own it. I have that same criterion. I just have not gotten to it yet. And I really want to. It's, it's a big recommend. It is one of the, it's one of the ones that's on the Mount Rushmore of movies. I am very sad to not get voted uh, Cinemust. Um, it's it's wonderful. It's, it's really nice of you to say, Kieran, because actually on that episode um, with all that jazz in Chicago, I have gotten more messages or emails from people basically saying, like, I watched this movie because of your show and it blew me away. Mm. Yeah, it's I'm really proud of that episode. I'm so glad that, you know, that, that's kind of like why I do the show is I, I like to get messages yeah. like that. So, so, so glad you not only love it, but it's. It's almost in your top five essential losers. It is a great pick. That is a stacked year, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, check it out, Adam. I think that's one that uh, that won't disappoint you. Although my back five hasn't really knocked you off your uh, off your feet, um, I think that maybe that's one that you. I, like I, I, I think I'm going to catch up on my my front five here. Your back, yeah. your back three. It's your back three. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> Which if they gotta be somewhere, that's where to put them. Okay, number six for me. It's I look. I don't. I didn't set out to do this to be unoriginal. I didn't set out to do this to be predictable. I I fought it tooth and nail, but it has to be done, guys. Number six is Citizen Kane. Yeah, I got. I got it higher. Okay, table. Okay, they both did it. Okay, right. top five. Adam, what do we have at number five for you? I mean, it's just it's just a movie. It's a movie that got talked about a lot recently on a podcast that Karen was just on, and uh, it's the Social Network. Let's just get to it. It's the it's the Social Network. Uh, not on my list, but such a good one. Not on my list. Let's chat. You know, it's it's funny, and it's it's definitely not my it's not my favorite Fincher, but I don't think that Fincher has worked with a better screenplay. And and again, we talk about noticeable, you know, absences of of nominees. You know, we talked about that with Paul Giamatti in Sideways. Like Andrew Garfield's lack of a nomination here is also, I think, uh, going on fourteen years later is really showing. Like that's you missed that one, um, and that was not a stacked Ew. supporting actor year at the Oscars. I mean, there's definitely a spot for Andrew Garfield at the table, but the I think the themes. The way it's shot, the the sc- I mean, I mean, that's the thing too. Is like I do think that this movie sings on every level. I think the script, the directing, um, the acting, and and I I I don't think it's the most important thing, but I cannot tell you how many times I've listened to the Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score. It is like my what I listen to when I'm grading kind of thing. I just it's a tremendous film. I think in every way that you can make a movie. Um, and I I just think it's I just think it's it's brilliant. Yeah, um, you know, every every time uh, this movie comes up and I'm on a podcast talking about it, I have to really try to not say Atticus Finch um, <laughs> when talking about the score. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I was just on a podcast, The Revisionist Almanac, talking about this and and that year. And I will say that the craft of the film is, is unmatched. I mean, the direction, uh, the score, the lighting... Uh, the tone, it's its really, really well put together. I have, you know, my issues with this, you know, the incomplete nature of the story, 
um, which is can, which can be debated. And and I thought in that episode we've had uh, a pretty good debate. Adam and you and I have had uh, personal conversations about it as well. And um, that's usually the sign of a good film when you know you can ha- have a, a, a healthy debate over what it means and and how well it's told. Uh, so I I had expected to talk about this here today. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I scored a point on this one for uh, for Adam's list. Um, but it it is this is a runners up in the tw- in the twenty tens for me. It's 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 quintessential twenty tens and to knock it out of the park right on the first year of the decade. Um, I I'm with you. It's it's just one of those ones. We have an episode on it. It's one of those ones. It is my favorite Fincher, and I think because like the elements all really come together, like the performances, the writing. He gets to do his thing cinematography wise and doing his hundred takes, but it, it just feels like it really shouldn't work, but it is hypnotic. It's in, enchant, not enchanting. Um, what is hypnotizing is, is what I'm trying to say. I, and you know, we, we have an episode on King's speech too. And it's, it's the thing is like the, the worst thing that ever happened to King's speech is it won best picture. <laughs> like if, if King's speech could have been a nominee and lost, we'd, we'd remember it much more fondly because it's a fine movie, but to, to shut out this decade defining masterpiece is, is a damn shame. So I wholeheartedly support it being one of the 10. It's a great pick. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Kieran, number five. Number five, number five. Okay, so Adam, as we've mentioned, you haven't been thrilled with uh, certainly my back three. You know, maybe you could say my back five, but you know, it's not your fault, Adam. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. There, he's pointing to <laughs> the poster. Yes, number five for me, nineteen ninety-seven. Gus Van Zant's Goodwill Hunting. I scored a point no. on that one. <laughs> Same. My yes, first yeah, point for the, Kieran, the guy that I thought I was, I had six on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Goodwill Hunting. Um, you know, if you if you want to if you want to laugh, if you want to smile, if you want to cry, if you want to, um, you know, if you want to f- long for uh, someone in your past, if you want to long for someone in your future, um, it this is a human. This is a human tale. Um, it's a um, God, it's, it's, it's such a, um, accessible, but, um, elaborate story. And when I say elaborate, it's not, you know, it, it's not, it's not cheap. It's not thin. It has its layers and it has its importance. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a story about, about the heart and it's a story about the mind and the, the battle and the tug of war between the two. And God, it it just brings me to um, the movie brings me to my knees every time. So, uh, Robin Williams, what what can I even say about what he accomplishes in this film? You know, talked about Bill Murray before about having um, the comedic persona and then stepping into drama. While Robin Williams started off in comedy, he did his fair share of drama leading up to this too, and was kind of always the bridesmaid and never the bride as far as the Oscars came. He'd get his his nomination here or there, but was never really in serious talk about winning it. And I think that this is probably my favorite win in that category um, and the best supporting actor category. And um, we're, we're blessed to have had Robin Williams in our lives and this is his shining moment. So Goodwill Hunting, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm now looking at it. I'm a little mad. I put it as low as five. It should <laughs> should have put it a little Such higher. A hard list. But um, yes, yeah. not not on either of your lists, guys. No, and it's again. This is where I tried to think about. And, and this is such a like a nitpicky line to just make up in your head, but like essential versus personal favorite, you know, I do think uh, as a personalist and like if this was a personalist, like I got to tell you that the 90s and 2000s would be well represented on my personal like best picture loser list. Um, uh, no, I, I, I didn't. I part of I part of it is I kept it off because I thought it was going to be on your list um, and that we yep, just, well, just a little there's going to be a movie. There's going to. There's going to be a movie that I think we're going to trade off on that same type. Yeah, of but I so. like I I can't tell you I show I show two different scenes from this movie in my in my acting classes. Um, you know, it's it's one of those movies that just proves that like you don't have to have flashy directing or high budget you know visual effects. Like if you have a good story and good actors, like it, it it'll sing. It really will. And I think there was a lot of trust put into this movie. Um, and I can't really echo more than what Kieran said because it, it is it's quite a, a beautiful film and I I think it's I think this is one that really does stand the test of time. 97 other a really stacked year. I mean that's what I was going to say. Like I'm I'm even it's not a, like essential or great but I'm a, I'm a sucker for as good as it gets. Like this is I am this too. Is a, this I is am a too damn it. Year. Me too yeah. damn it. Yeah. Um you, you make a movie gets too much crap be a better man, you know? I mean <laughs> um with with um, Lost in Translation, Karen, I said I, I like that screenplay win. It kind of not for the story. Like I'm, I feel kind of more in Adam's camp with Lost in Translation. But I was like, oh, I like that one because of like the year. This this is a screenplay win. I just love. It's it's an all time screenplay win for you know Damon and Affleck just being the young kids and in, in the year where Titanic was just soaking up everything for them to get that victory lap for Robin Williams to get the recognition he deserved. It's, it's a great movie. I always, I always feel like it's a movie I don't deserve to love. I came to it really late and it's like a movie that, you know, a lot of people like connected with me were like young. It's like a high school movie for folks. And I hit it like mid twenties, but it it is, it's, it's awesome. It's great. I wholly anticipated it being somewhere in the show and I'm glad it was. Yeah. And, and I just have to say too, uh, being the, both of your podcasts is based off uh, the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. This is one of the most is... obnoxious omissions from that from that book. I put that in and uh, a movie we mentioned earlier when we were talking, uh, There Will be, be Blood, No Country for Old Men. The fact that those two movies aren't in there is just obnoxious. And there's some jerk on the editing team that's p- playing some kind of prank on <laughs> No somebody. Country has been. Is it at least the thing there? Good, goodwill for I have no idea how it's never once been in here. It defies it's never it even defies any logic. Just very, very, very small tease. Potential, potential for an episode in season six. Excellent potential. Anyways. Love it. Great. Anything else on Goodwill Hunting? I I think that's I think we got it. It rips. It does. <laughs> it still rips. It Okay, number f- number five. He's he's my guy. I was so excited when he was brought up on someone else's list. I couldn't have two of his on mine, and that was one of the things that made my hardest cut. My hardest cut. But I got Billy Wilder on here at number five. My pick is Sunset Boulevard, which I'm seeing check marks. So some guys are scoring points. Um. Oh God, I didn't put that. On- ah, son of a. Ah. <laughs> um. So Sun- Sunset Boulevard. Um. The 
I'm just going to go for it. The quintessential movie about Hollywood, the quintessential movie about movies. Um, partly because it's, it's, it's produced, it's premiered at a time where that is like a super risky move to make. This is, this is 50s Hollywood, man. The studio system is still doing its thing. For Billy Wilder to get this made is unbelievable to me. I will concede the, um, I think the script is stronger in Double Indemnity, especially if we look at it from the noir angle and the snappy dialogue. But dude, there's, there's too many. This, this is one of the other just all-time great screenplays for me. There's, there's so many lines that you could put up on the wall of like, these are the iconic quotes from cinema. You know, Adam, I'm, I'm also reading this Oscar Wars book at your recommendation. Um, <laughs> This best actress race is crazy. And this is another thing, you know, I think this is an essential best picture loser. It would get my vote, but All About Eve is no slouch. I don't have a lot of vinegar in my veins about All About Eve winning. It's a fantastic film, too. And they largely tackle the same thing. Gloria Swanson here. It's a performance for the ages. And it is it is that line that blends reality and fiction. Kudos to her for taking it. Kudos for her for making it work. It's just iconic through and through. It's I I there's three movies that always duke it out for my number one Billy Wilder, and this is one of them. It's it's easily one of the essential movies of the '50s, and it is easily a top five essential Best Picture loser. Recently, we watched. Sorry, this is a really. I'll keep this short. We recently we watched Maestro, and we were talking about uh, Bradley Cooper, and uh, we were gushing over his performance in Star Is Born and how how we thought he was really good in that. And Melissa said something like, "God, he really should have won for that." And I would, and my response was, "Yeah, he should have." Do you know who won? Do you know who won? The guy who played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, Rami Malek won. And Melissa, who does not take this as seriously as we do, right? She looked upset, like she was mad. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes. A, a powerhouse performance just for whatever reason butts up against something else, right? Whether it's like a, a slew of really good nominees or one big shit nominee, but like it sometimes it just happens, right? And, and I think that, that Gloria Swanson, Judy Holiday, Ann Baxter, Betty Davis, like just, I mean, what are you going to do? Somebody, somebody's going to win and everybody else has to lose. And we're, we're talking about, the losers here, right? The best losers. Yeah. And that, that chapter of the book, that's maybe my favorite chapter so far, but that, that really talks about how it's kind of the, the rules are what did everyone dirty on that one because it's like Gloria Swanson's on top and Baxter and Betty Davis are competing against each other in the same movie. Like there's so many split votes that Judy Holiday, you know, there's too many variables there. It's it's just such yeah, a powder. You're, you're not just getting the all about Eve splits. You're also getting the the veteran actress splits between Betty Davis and and Gloria Swanson. So there's like the 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 the, the splitception going on there. Um, but uh, this Mike, this was my last cut for the evening. Um, it was my final cut for the evening. It is my 14th film, if you will. Um, trying to squeeze it into my darlings, trying to squeeze it into my top 10. It's probably one that if it was in my top 10, it might, it probably wouldn't even have been 10. It probably would have been higher up. Um, but I just, you know, I, it's, you know, I'm like, I just, I hope someone else is going to bring it up maybe. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. But, um, what a, what an awesome film. And I'm, I've, I always sing at the top of the mountains praises for Billy Wilder and, and, 
all of his films. That's a filmography I want to tackle um, in in upcoming uh, years. Um, get all of them under under my belt. Uh, and yeah, and and just you know, anytime I can bring up William Holden again, I will because I just uh, <laughs> yes. I love the hell out of him. So that's for you, Ian. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> love you. Yeah, Ian. one, love one you, of his but... greats, and well, I'll have to join you on that, Kieran. He Billy Wilder's a top five all time director for me, and still has yet to make a cinemust appearance. This is his kind of his first official <laughs> appearance. So wow, yeah. Just because I love him doesn't mean the co-hosts pick him. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, so that's number five. So let's let's take here another bit. We got a couple more darlings to get through. Two, two each. So might as well kind of pepper him throughout. Um, going back reverse order. Kieran, can we have another one of your three darlings that did not make the cut? Well, we weren't going to get out of here without talking Clint Eastwood, right? I mean, we oh, had oh. to... <laughs> I got I got to talk some Clint here today. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, I went with uh, with Mystic River as a darling. Adam, anything to say on this? this one? I like Mystic River quite a bit. Um, it 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 might be it might be my favorite Clint directed movie. Um, I know. I mean, I know. It, it, I think God memes weren't really a big thing when that came out because the whole "Is that my daughter in there?" would have easily <laughs> been one. Um, but I, I totally dig this movie. I think I actually, I think everybody in it is great. I think in another world, Kevin Bacon could have gotten nominated as well. I think he's absolutely he's, he's got the he plays the straight man, which is like that never gets nominated. But like he's really he's a really good through line through the movie. Um, I do I've I don't have any negative things about Mystic River. I really I really like it. Kieran, I'm so sorry to kick your pick over to Adam. I was fishing for is this going to be on his list. <laughs> Oh no! 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 Shit! I just lost a. <laughs> <laughs> Mystic River. I mean, Adam said it great with the performances there. Lawrence Fishburne is great in it. Um, yeah. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden is great in it. Um, uh, I mean, Sean Penn gets most of the glory here in this one. But what a great Oscar win for Tim Robbins in this one. Um, you know, he's he's like. Uh, like uh, Morgan Freeman, Clint scoops him up post Shawshank, and he goes, oh, "We'll get you your Oscar. Don't worry, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll take care of this." Um, Tim Robbins is is so heartbreaking in this film. Um, it's uh, another moody, moody flick. Like you just you can feel the the salt water in the air when you're watching this this film, and um, uh, the characters are are ugly and tragic. And um, it is, it's as good as you can adapt a novel to, to the screen. Uh, not that I've read the novel Mystic River, but... Oh, you um, should. It's good. It's, I, don't read a lo- I, I don't read a lot of um, fiction. Um, Mystic River is good. Cool. That's one I got to order then. I got, I got to do that next then. But it's, uh, yeah, just a wonderfully performed film. And I had to, had to bring it up here. And there's a little bit of Oscar Dominoes there with that too. Because the, the Lord of the Rings having to get one. And then maybe we go into Million Dollar Baby and, and whatnot from there. So... But yeah. But according to your letterbox, Karen, you believe Million Dollar Baby is the stronger picture. I do. Right. I do. Hot take. Clint hot take yeah, there. That cool. is true. I mean, but I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a uh like a, a sole survivor supporter for for Million Dollar Baby. It takes way too much shit. So, but uh, it's also a bit of a personal movie for me too, so. You um, you are beyond qualified to take the stand. <laughs> um I 
I rewatched this last night after so long because I was so certain it was going to make at least one of your lists. In fact, I had it as a guest on both of your lists just to cover my places. <laughs> so I am a big loser here, but um, great to revisit it because awesome movie. It's again, kind of that same idea of there will be blood. It's like, man, Mystic River, why couldn't you just have waited a year and it, it would have been yours? Ditto. To, I don't want to drag it on too long. Just everything you guys said. It, it's a fantastic movie. And I was really, really happy to rewatch it. I actually want to get it on my Blu-ray shelf. Yeah, now. this was this was my last cut of my 10. Um, and I, I just I, I felt like Beauty and the Beast felt a little more important there. So, you know, the Oscars are all about that, that capital I important, you know, so you got to you got to play along. That's right. That's right. OK, Adam, darling, number two. Okay, so this is one I don't think um, it gets enough love, and uh, it is it's kind of harder to come by nowadays if you're a physical media hound. Um, but I saw this movie a couple years after it came out when I started digging into the Oscars around two thousands ish, and I continue to love this movie every time that I see it. And uh, so my second darling is nineteen ninety nine's The Insider. Um, it's directed by Michael Mann. Um, and it's all about, uh, the, the tobacco case coming forward and kind of finally the public knowing that yes, tobacco executives know that tobacco is harmful and has cancer and is addictive. I think it's directed beautifully by Michael Mann. I think, um, Russell Crowe following up LA Confidential by putting on the weight and playing a much older character. I, this is, this is a Mount Rushmore Russell Crowe performance for me. I think he's great. It's one of our last great Pacino performances. I think it's a taut law movie that is just. I think it's totally engrossing, and I. I don't know. It, I don't know what it is. We, we've on, on a thousand one by one. We've started calling movies vibe movies because sometimes you can't even necessarily like. I think it's got a great script. It's got great acting, but there's also a vibe to it, and I. I. I just. I love this movie so much. I've never seen it. I'm well. I'm. Oh. I'm. I'm well aware and have every reason to believe. I'm just gonna fall in love with it just this is also the first it. movie mentioned tonight that i have not seen uh on, on all the lists yeah, yeah hey so we're, all right we're there with that it's been it been on my list for a while and one i want to check out uh for sure is it that year alone right and this movie more than heat is why i wanted to do michael mann on 1001 this season because i just if we have any sway in in, in affecting what people what movies people watch I want people to see the insider. I think it's, I think it is one of the best movies of the nineties. I mean, I, I really do. And I just, yeah, it's just, it's great. You should check it out. <laughs> Will do. Okay. Darling. Number two for me, I got to go back to 1939, which, uh, it's tough to pull up the lineup, but you know, my, my pick from there was wizard of Oz at my number 10. And that, that one was a little more of the, the objective essential, but you know, this, this is the one that if it was for me, this is what it was going to be. And it is, um, my favorite genre, westerns. My favorite western is Stagecoach, which is my darling number two. Um, never, never stood a shot. You know, if if it wasn't Gone with the Wind's year, it was going to be Mr. Smith, or it was going to be Wizard of Oz, or it was going to be Ninochka. You know, like, but but Stagecoach. You know, I I don't have a cinema on it. I have a casual cinecast guest spot I've done on it. I I so excited for the day I can talk about it. But it is my my take on it is it is this rare western that all at once feels like. The epitome of the classic that sets the trademarks, the you know the iconography of the genre, and at the same time, it already feels revisionist. It already feels like it's bucking the trends that it is establishing, um, and it, it really did establish it. It is one of like the keystone 
Westerns. Um, it's the movie that proves there is a golden god who once walked this earth, and his name is Thomas Mitchell, who won Best Supporting Actor for the movie. I think it's only win. Just, just fantastic as a genre picture, fantastic as social commentary. Everything I want out of a movie, every, certainly everything I want out of a Western, except that it's not in color, but I don't hold it against it. It's it's near perfect movie for me. Yeah, another one that I watched on your recommendation there, Mike. So uh, yeah, look. thoughts. The Western genre is one that I'm like I'm like coaching myself into getting into, you know, like because it's not one that I throw it on and I'm instantly in love with with westerns, but like I'm I'm educating myself on it and I'm I'm training myself to the waters of the western, uh, and stagecoach is a is a good starting place for anybody who wants to get into westerns because it's a it's a breezy runtime it's a a quick moving film and a a fun hang and like everything that you just said there mike just just really 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 well made john ford john ford yeah who um you know we're, we're gonna have our first movie of his next month 100 episodes in we never talked john ford but I'm, I'm glad to hear that and i'm not fishing for I, I you know i always feel so nervous recommending it but glad to hear you liked it. I I hope Joey gave it a shot too because it has his, his favorite actor Poppins. Donald Meeks in it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mr. Poppins. I know. He gets his in Stagecoach. I, sorry, Adam. I don't. I my internet lagged out. I don't know if you had anything you were jumping in on. No, I actually just saw this movie for the first time, like maybe a month and a half ago. It's uh, it's heavily referenced in the film book that I'm teaching from in the spring. And so I was like, well, I should probably have seen it. Um, and it's, it's great. It's, it is one of those things too, where it comes full circle, where you see certain scenes and you're like, Oh, this is where, I mean, I mean, this is where the hateful eight took a lot of the shit from was from stagecoach. I mean, just like very obviously from stagecoach. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I mean, like I, I, the West, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on the Western cause that's not fair. Like the quest no, Westerns to me are like, like horror films though. Like the ones I love, I will, I will sing its praises all the live long day, but there's a lot of shit you got to like wade through to get to the really good stuff. Right. Um, right. But, but I do think given, given the hands it was in with John Ford, I think that, that, that does elevate it quite a bit. And I do think the runtime helps too. Cause sometimes Westerns get to like, be like that two twenty, two thirty mark. I'm like, why? Why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah. It does not need to be no, this long. Um, so stage the and the and the fact just going from post to post, like it does, like it does make it easily digestible for anybody who's like, you know, adverse oh, to westerns. Immaculate story structure. Um, it would talk about it later because uh, when Orson Welles was making Citizen Kane, he used one film as his textbook and watched it every day, over and over and over again. It was Stagecoach. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So awesome. Um, before we get back into our list, we have a couple other listener blurbs here. Um, movies that it's, I'm kind of starting to get the feeling these may not appear on our list, so we should give them some time in the sun. So let's kick them over. So uh, Grant C uh, says that, uh, that he'd hack? be remiss. Yeah, that guy. He'd be remiss if he didn't say Jaws. The movie changed the way movies were made and seen. It combines a great story, great craftsmanship, and wonderful performances with an accessible popcorn movie that can be enjoyed by the masses. Yes, Mike and I are wearing shirts that says Jaws. Yes, it stood not even a remote chance of making my list. Not even a little bit, did it? Uh, but super close to making mine. There you go. There you go. Um, I think that was a last-minute cut for you. But anyways... <laughs> Not on my list either, <laughs> but, yeah, but um, you know, we all love I get it. the Grand I totally, <laughs> Yeah, This what is it, like an E.T. pick. I, I get it. I no, totally he, get it. What he says about it is 100% accurate. Like, we should be so lucky that blockbusters were made like this. Yeah. I had, I had it on my short list and just was 
you know, when you start making those cuts, it's one that just got cut. It's like, I, you know, they'll either have it, or I knew Adam wasn't going to have it, but I think maybe Michael have it, and we'll talk about it then. So, I wanted to so bad. I, I just had to do network. Renee Gagliardi says, JFK. JFK, very important in terms of rapid cut editing, storytelling from multiple angles, complicated threads, use of historical events as fodder for retelling. You can draw a direct line from JFK to Oppenheimer, a flawed film, but very influential nonetheless. I like that she included that it was flawed at the end there because it is. Um, Yes, but, you know, a, a favorite of many, a favorite of many for sure. I'm really do a rewatch. It's been so As long, but it's it's another one of those things. Like that 91 year is so stacked and so good. But Silence of the Lambs is just hard to argue. For sure. And uh, I've got one from Therefore I Review, who chose LA Confidential. And their blurb is LA Confidential. Hashtag, that's the tweet. So not, <laughs> no crosstalk there, but um, that's uh, 97. What a great year. And, um, you know, for more on that, 1001 by 1 has a great episode on LA Confidential. That was that was one of the ones you had this season that I was just like, lucky dogs. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great movie. Um, I mean, yeah, please check it out. We, we talk, we really talk all angles on that episode for LA Confidential. So yeah, I would, I would highly suggest that. As, as well you should. All right, gents. We're rolling back into it. Um, four official picks to go, one darling, and a few more listener blurbs. We're in the home stretch here. So, Adam, can we kick it back to you for your official number four? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. We're talking about Dr. Strangelove. We're talking about it later. Oh, we're talking about it later. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, Kieran. Collecting points over here. Okay. Um, number four. Oh, boy. Let's, let's get to it. Because I got some bad ideas in my head. This is 1976, a year we brought up before. This is my favorite Martin Scorsese. This is my favorite Robert De Niro. This is Taxi Driver in my number four slot. Are are you talking to us? Um, I don't see anyone else in the room. He must be talking to me. The only one's here. Um, Yeah, Taxi Driver, man. What a psychotic film that this is. Um, You know, you know, I I like I like films that study the mind and focus on the mind and and its reaction to the world around it. And man, Taxi Driver is no better uh, example. Um, A ah boy, um, an ending that can be debated till the end of time, uh, even by the filmmaker himself uh, or, the, or the actor himself. Um, everyone forgets as a Jodie Foster-nominated role in this one. We got, our, we got Harvey Keitel as a pimp. Um, there's, uh, this, is, this is just a, this is a, a film lover's film. And um, the dark undertones... The uh, the portrayal of New York City during that time period, which is not uh, not the shining moment in the city's history. Taxi Driver is a film. We're talking cinemust here. That is a film that absolutely everyone should see. And and we agreed on it. It easily made the cinemust vote when we covered it in the sh- early. It's one of like our first ten episodes. Yeah, and another clear victim of a stacked seventies year. 
that's that's gonna say recurring theme it's great as sin rocky network all the president's men like ah just wait a year scorsese i go back and forth this is definitely in the running for one of my favorite scorsese picks and honestly another one of those ones that it could be a quintessential the quintessential 70s movie that you know all the things i picked network for taxi drivers got them in spades too prophetic about disenfranchisement um feeling isolation from society the 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 feeling of isolation in like one of the most densely populated cities of the world so amazingly well captured in the movie and the effects it has it's a masterpiece it's it's definitely it's one of the ones where i'm like look i don't i don't begrudge rocky a win i probably would have voted for network but if taxi driver took best picture i'd be a smiling happy guy this is a great YouTube channel, and I, I, it's uh, uh, Cinefix, and I don't remember what list it, it was on, but they were talking about favorite shots, and um, there's the scene where De Niro is calling Candace Bergen. It's after he's taken her to the porn theater, <sighs> mm-hmm. and he's like basically trying to start up a relationship with her again, and he's at the payphone, and there's a, there's a, one of the shot choices that's brilliant is where we're on him, and the camera just moves to a hallway. We can hear the conversation still happening, but we're not seeing it. We're just walk, looking at this empty hallway. And the way that the guy describes it is so great. He goes, it's as if the camera has given up on Travis Bickle. Like, it's like I can't even <laughs> listen to the conversation. And it, there are, there are so many great moments like that in the movie, right? And that's what, that's what takes a movie from being like, oh, that was fine, to like brilliant. And it's, it's a bunch of small choices that were intentional, right? My, my mentor in the theater world, he, he would say specificity elicits creativity. And that is a very specific choice that you just go, wow, I don't know. I, I don't know who else would have thought of that, but what a great little moment in this movie full of really great moments. Um, very iconic pick. That's yeah, not on mine, but I mean, yeah, come on. Of course. An underrated Sybil Shepherd performance in that one too. Yeah. Oh God, I said Candace no, I, Bergen. I meant Sybil Shepherd. Please. <laughs> oh God, how do we fix that? I meant to say Sybil Shepherd. You're, you're branded forever. No, everybody. Albert, Albert Brooks even his, you know, his great. Role, he's, great. Everybody just knocks it out of the park in that. Even even the guy. I don't know the actor's name, but in that final shootout, the guy that just won't go down <laughs> and just keeps tackling him. You mother. Holy cow. Um. Yeah. That was that was on my '70s shortlist in the '70s. Is, the the one that probably had the biggest shortlist ever. So tough cut to make. I'm so glad it made it onto yours. Okay, number four. Um, this this one's for me. <laughs> I've tried I've tried some some objectivity. I I feel I can hit it. But this is my pick for the 2010s. Is Mad Max Fury Road the movie I've long touted as movie of the decade? Um, just for for the sheer, I don't know cheekiness. Maybe I could say that on paper, this is not what a Best Picture nominee is. A Best Picture nominee is not an oct- high-octane, adrenaline-fueled action movie. It's, it's not this. And yet, Mad Max comes along to become the best action movie of the decade, but to become one of the harshest social commentaries. And to weave the two together so seamlessly. Kieran, there's a moment from Best Picture cast that lives in my head rent-free, and that is the the talk Uh-oh. of um, Gregory Peck is walking around with Peter O'Toole's Oscar. Technically from 1001 by 1, though. That was... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, you're uh, right, you're right. But I think you brought it up. guessing on that's the a, Roman Holiday that, episode. That's, that's a thousand... Ian cut, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like it. I love it, and I love Inurito. 
Alejandro Inuritu is walking around with George Miller's Oscar <laughs> because there's so much of what he won director for for The Revenant is exactly what George Miller should have won director for Mad Max, except Mad Max is a much more profound movie. But if you don't want to see it that way, it is the most kick-ass, amazing action movie. Charlie's Theron, like, bursts onto the scene to make Mad Max a side character in his own movie, and you're totally freaking fine with it. This came as no surprise. I saw you both do the, the fist bump. This, I know you guessed this one for me because I've never, ever buried my shame for this. This was, this was episode two of Cinemas and actually the very first one we recorded. I'm sure you could never tell based on the uh, quality of the recording if you go back and listen to it. But um, it's, it's movie of the decade. Social Network is, is amazing, Adam. That's, that's definitely a runner up for me in the 2010s, but I could not leave Mad Max Fury Road in the dust. It is not what we think of a Best Picture nominee, but damn it, I wanted it to be what we didn't want a Best Picture winner to be. This is a movie that has grown in my esteem. I definitely was tepid the first time I saw it. Um, and I don't know if it was because of that. Like, I, I think I saw it after the nominations had been announced. And so I was expecting something just that didn't exist in the movie from it. And then upon probably the, I would say the two subsequent viewings I've had since, you know, the, the Oscars happened that year, I, I've, I've welcomed it way more as kind of a parable, but just like one of the best filmed action movies of all time. Like I, and it, and it's, you can obviously see it for the, 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 you know, the, the geological issues that is certainly uh, hinting upon there, but it also is just like just a kick-ass movie too. So yeah. Yeah. I'll admit it's one that I need to revisit. I've seen it once uh, when it came out and it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, but you know, again, I'll always, um, be comfortable with the fact that sometimes a viewing experience doesn't define the film, and that might have been the case here with me. So I'll give it a second chance for sure, as I know it has quite a few people who agree with you out there, Mike. This is a, this is a very popular film. Well, I was really fortunate because I went into it when I had no expectations. Like, I, I all I knew from it was the trailer, and I was like, okay. But, you know, I caught it on the opening week before it had really taken off. So I, I you know, I also kind of feel like I got to be on that wave where I wasn't coming into it because I knew it had a bunch of Oscar nominations. I got to be the guy who was excited because it got a bunch of Oscar nominations. But just just to, you know, have a car chase movie that also has all these things to say about human beings being seen as commodities and how trying to climb the social ladder by sucking up to the people who control, you know, means of survival and means of production. It, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. I, I want to have it higher, but I just felt weird making the car chase movie in the top three weird but um i it's it's just just mine i love it and with that guys we're at the top three we're we're getting there and uh let's not belabor the point let's go adam number three most essential best picture loser uh as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster uh this is my scorsese pick and it is goodfellas short list but didn't make my cut this is one that I think I want to say, and, and, and Scorsese is still making really great movies. Like, I mean, he, he just is. Um, but I think this might be the right actors at the right time. Like, I think maybe just the best compilation of people he put into a film kind of all right where they need to be. The editing is so dynamic and fast and it's directed so well. I love the, the needle drops in it. I don't really know what, 
else, like what to say to encompass it. I just think it's it's great. It to me, this is one of the all time big like. Oh, cool! Dances with Wolves won Best Picture that year. Great, cool. That's that sounds like a good idea. Um, except not. Uh, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I you know, there's a whole there's a whole thousand one by one episode on it. For me, I I know this is a point of contention in the BBC world. I think the joint narration totally fucking works. Yes. In this movie. And uh, I don't know. Scorsese probably should have won his first directing Oscar for Goodfellas. Kieran, thoughts? I know this one's bounced around in BPC world a lot. It is. And I'm not really in the middle of it. I guess I'm in the middle of the sense that I'm the host of the podcast. But, um, you know, I'm not a uh, I'm not the type of person who grew up with this as, as his favorite movie. And I'm not on the uh, RDB island of just just fighting off uh, fighting off people as he says he hates it. Uh, I'll I'll sum this up with a very simple movie cliche. This movie gets better every time I see it, and it is really as simple as that. Um, every time I put it on, I like it more. Every time I put it on, it moves faster. Uh, my smile grows wider, and it is a a really fun, really well executed piece of cinema. I love Dances with Wolves. All right, so I'm not just gonna allow a, a just 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 grand general besmirching. However. That's a bad best director win right there. That's that's a bad best director win. That that one is it's tough to defend that one. I will say that. Yeah, that's that's another king speech situation. The worst thing that happened to Dances with Wolves is it won. If it was just a nominee, we would think a lot kinder, kindlier on it because there Dances with Wolves does have some stuff going for it. But I'll I'll second what you said, Kieran, with how it gets Goodfellas gets better because I flat out didn't like Goodfellas the first time I saw it. I hated it. It was. It was the last movie from the AFI Top 100 I watched when I was like going through all those. I saved it for last because I was like, I'm sure I, I'll love it. So I got to save a good one for the end. And at the end of it, I was like, I saved this for last. And I I just feel dumb because every time I watch it now, I'm like, this is probably my favorite Scorsese. If, if it's not Taxi Driver, it's Goodfellas. And I, I'm with you that it's, you know, we kick the 90s off in the Oscars and it's one of the... I don't want to call it one of the most egregious shutouts, um, but definitely in the director category, it's like, okay, Dance with Wolves is big and the outreach to the Sioux community is great, but like universally, everybody agreed this was going to be Martin Scorsese's time to shine. So the great news is time's been incredibly kind to it. And um, I had no doubt it was going to make this list somewhere. Boom. Cool. All right, Kieran, number three. Number three, and I think this is the first time we're talking a movie that's been mentioned earlier, and uh, well, the quote I had was said earlier too, so I guess I'll just say it again, because it, uh, it, it should ring true. There are no two words in the English language more damaging than good job, and that is <laughs> Whiplash, 2014's Whiplash. And uh, now, Adam, that was your... Darling pick, or did it make your list? No, it was one of my darlings, yeah. Okay, all right, yes. Number three for me. Uh, I think that this is one of the best movies of the last 25 years. And I realize that's a big statement, but I, I, I cannot find anything wrong with this film. It, it is, it's thematically powerful, its performances are ruthless and pitch perfect. Uh, 
it is paced like a uh, like a bullet out of a gun, man. And I, I just I have really other than like a, a drum nerd that I know who's like a uh, a pretentious drummer who uh, will you know will always would have always ripped it. I've never heard anyone say a negative thing about the movie. I really haven't. Um, and um, and I and I say that uh, a drum nerd lovingly to him because he I, you know, he would laugh if he heard me say that. Um, it it is just the movie is it is it is just a wonderful um, um, almost like a fable, you know, for for uh, it, it learning to push yourself in life and learning how hard you can push yourself, how far you can push yourself, and finding that line of do we really need to continue to push ourselves? And that endless debate of, you know, is, is greatness worth achieving? Um, if it's going to be the cost of, of your mental health and your um, ability to adjust as a person, and what would society be if no one was willing to push past that threshold? Uh, it's, a really, it's, it's a really, really powerful allegory to me. And uh, I love the film, and I love the J.K. Simmons performance, too. If, if Robin Williams isn't number one, then he's right there behind him. So, whiplash. Adam, this was a darling pick for you, so I think you should... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have much more to say. Um, I, I remember the first time I saw it, it was... Um, I, we would have had to have rented it. Um, and we so were watching it at home and my oldest would have been very, very young. And so Melissa and I are watching the movie and, uh, from the moment at the end, when he starts to play and he doesn't have the right sheet music until the actual end of the movie, I could not sit down. Like I don't, and that's not hyperbolic. Like I'm like, I, I couldn't sit down. No, I was like, no, no, no. I had to be moving around. Because I was like just so enthralled, and and it, and then it keep and like that's the thing is, and when I I've said this before on 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 multiple podcasts, and and when I teach too that like every movie should be a mystery in the sense that I shouldn't know what's going to happen next. That like I want to be in that world, and so when he comes out and it's the wrong sheet music, I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And then when he comes back in, because he's like, fuck this guy, I'm going to prove myself. I didn't know that was going to happen. And then when J.K. Simmons starts to lead, I'm like, oh wait, I didn't know that was going to happen. And it's just like it just keeps building and building. And um, I mean, and I will say, despite the fact that I'm not the biggest La La Land fan, um, I do think that Chazelle's four for four. And I might be in the weeds on that one because I know Babylon is very divisive. But I think I think he's four for four. I think Chazelle, I think Chazelle's one of our better filmmakers we got working out there. That was going to be about the only thing I had to offer here is what a debut. Um, yeah. like talk about like exploding onto the scene mm. to use another cliche. I, I'm a fan of the 2014 lineup, honestly. Um, to me, the, the real travesty of loss here at the Oscars for this is screenplay. Um, cause, cause I'm a boyhood fan and I, and I get that's not everybody. That's, that's a pretentious self-indulgent thing and whiplash plays so much better. But, but the, the fact this lost screenplay to me is unbelievable. Is that a heart sign you did for uh, Boyhood there, Adam? I love Boyhood. I utterly love Boyhood. Yeah. I had it on my short list for you, Adam, by the way. I didn't pick it, but yeah. Excellent. That was so close to being one of my darlings. Yeah, I, I'm a big Linklater, but yeah, Whiplash. Um, 
I, I caught crap in 2014 for, for liking Whiplash because the melodrama was getting a lot of heat that it was so over the top. And I was like, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that take hasn't aged well. Yeah, it hasn't. I've, I've, that's one of the very few takes that I've, I've been, since been vindicated on. I think I'm like three for 95 on that. <laughs> Great. Um, my number three is my pick from the 1990s. Uh, we have a Cinemust episode on it. It's my Coen Brothers pick. It is one of the most egregious Best Picture losses in the history of Best Picture losses, and that is 1996's Fargo. Lovely choice. Uh, eighth Grade Kieran's favorite movie. It is Eighth Grade Kieran's favorite movie, and I don't think it being my final darling should uh, should should derail this conversation. I think you should go. Uh, Let's. I do think it. you should go and do your thing. Well, I'll I'll kick it to you guys because, like I said, I have an episode on it, but my episode is basically like trying to unravel what's so great about it and getting caught off guard by like it's it's perfect simplicity that it just connects adam i'll i'll take your thousand one by one thing it's a vibe movie there's i i can pontificate on all the crap the screenplay the performances it it does all fire but there is some extra layer underneath there that makes this an all-timer well and don't get me the the coen brothers i think are the like the textbook example of hit and miss directors for me. I mean, the movies that, that they made that I love, I love. I mm-hmm. love No Country for Old Men. I love Fargo. And then some are just like not, right? And so if it's not your vibe, it's not your vibe. But I think the, uh, the world, and, and I will say, I think, and I haven't seen it since moving here, but living now in like the, up, what, I don't know if we call this region, the upper Midwest where we get a lot of A's and O's and, you know, everybody's very nice and they go ice fishing. Oh, like, gotcha. Sure, sure. Yes, it's, the, the people are overly nice. I mean, they really are. I mean, it is a very nice place to live. And then every once in a while, I'll see somebody like, what's your fucking story, man? What, what, what do you got going on? <laughs> and I do think that there's a lot, and like, you drive around here and it's a lot of trees and frozen ton. It's just, I don't know. Fargo is... You know, if we want to call it a noir in a way, it kind of is, right? Yeah. But like, it's just, and again, I think, I think pitch perfect casting. I, I, I like to rag on like people like Wes Anderson who cast the same people over and over again. But God, Francis McDormand, just keep working with your husband because yeah. you put out some of your best work when you do. So continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as Micah alluded to before, that's a great, you had that fact ready. That was one of my notes, my leading notes here. It was eighth grade Kieran's favorite movie. I put it in my, in our eighth grade yearbook as my favorite film and definitely raised the eyebrows of many faculty members uh, with, with that one. We're like, oh, we may need to do a call home to this kid. This is disturbing. Um, I love Fargo. I really do. Uh, it's, I mean, do you, I, I really like that take, Adam, about it being a noir. It is, it is kind of a noir. I never really thought of it like that. Um, it's a great blend of violence and comedy. Uh, and man, just kind of like a, kind of like a Seminoles 90 flick, uh, a Seminoles 90s flick. Francis McDormand, a good, a good, a really kind of unique best actress win too. Um, she'd have many more ahead of her, but um yeah, I had to have it as a darling on this thing because I couldn't not bring it up. And I'll close out by saying, like, yes, I, I, it is a noir. It's a murder story, it, and the violence can be so shocking. But what, what I come back to and what I said in our episode on it is I also find it to be genuinely one of the most optimistic and hopeful movies ever made. I, I think mm. it has a worldview 
that is willing to trudge through the, you know, the darker recesses of humanity, but arrive very sincerely at the best and, you know, the most optimistic. And I think that that rings incredibly true where, where E.T., you know, I, you know, I stand by E.T., and, but I'll, I'll kind of go back on the defensive for its sentimentality. I don't have to do that with Fargo. I think it earns every bit of its anything that you could call saccharine, specifically as embodied by, you know, the characters of the Gundersons. And that last scene just brings a tear to my eye every time. The 90s is famous for the Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love feud. For, for me, this is, this is the atrocity of the 90s to, you know... It, We'll have an episode on the English Patient someday, and we can talk about how I'm way more hard on it than Mr. Kieran B. Here, I, but, you know, um, I guess it's my role to just be this guy this episode to, <laughs> to make all the listeners roll their eyes. But English Patient is is a beautiful film. <laughs> in the same in the same way that film. in the same way that Doctor Shivago was a beautiful film. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, I'm. Yeah. I might. Well, I, I'm going to flip a coin to see which one I'm going to watch when we're done recording here. Today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jesus. Do you hate yourself? Oh, What's going on? Oh, God. Maybe in the morning with a cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> terrible thing uh, is you are doing quite well. If we're talking about 90, uh, <laughs> 1996, right? 96 Oscar yes. atrocities. William H. Macy, lead actor. Yes. Lead mm-hmm. actor and Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. as supporting actor nomination. We needed to get those two in there. That's that sucks that he's never been nominated for an Oscar. It really needed to just win everything, even crap it wasn't nominated for. Like they need like best documentary feature, Fargo. <laughs> it just needed everything. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I I like Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. That's not a win that I like hate. But I'm with you. Like I don't know what about William H Macy's role says he's a supporting character. Yeah, and and you know I don't need Buscemi to win, but Buscemi should have gotten nominated there in that. We and, didn't and need we didn't need Armin Mueller Stahl nominated for Shine. I think uh, <laughs> I think Buscemi could have gotten nominated for Fargo. Right. You know it's it's the hindsight thing. Yeah, Fargo's perfect. Time has been kind to Fargo. Everything we're saying is there's no hot takes here. They're they're literally still making yeah. it. Exactly. And <laughs> it's still great. Point. Yeah. Right on. Well, Adam, what's your number two? If you're keeping track at home, you would know that I punted earlier and uh we're talking about the granddaddy of them. I guess the biggest Oscar travesty if you're gonna think about it that way. And that's uh <laughs> and that is Citizen Kane at number two. Which was my number six. Yeah, somebody had to do it. <laughs> no, go for it. I'm, I'm so happy. Again, I said, like, I, I wanted not to, and I couldn't not. I know, and, and that was the, again, that, that's the essential, I guess, part of this list, that I, I couldn't not do it. And, um, and again, I mentioned this earlier, but as I'm prepping to teach film in the spring, like, I'm, I'm reading through the book, and so the book that I'm, I, that I'm teaching from is it's segmented into different chapters, but once you get past the first few vague chapters, it's like it's cinematography, editing, acting, sound, and, and uh, mise-en-scene and all these other things. But like, it, like the, Citizen Kane gets mentioned in every chapter because whether it's the, the way that Greg Toland like, focused uh, the, 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 the shoot and how they dug into the floor to get some of those shots – whether you talk about Orson Welles' acting and, and or his place in film history about like giving free reign to make this movie off of like no prior film experience. It's the whether it's what you see on screen or what you know about about it off screen, the 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 movie is 
quite, quite good. And um, the the way in which they, this is really the first movie that like finds a way to make a flashback work. I mean, it's it they they have the reporter go back and interview these people, and it's not just like two months earlier, and we're like, oh, we're going back in time for no reason. Like it it, it makes the way in which we get the story makes such great sense. Um, and for for every reason that it sounds textbook and chalky to say, I mean, it, it Citizen Kane is just one of the the best movies ever made. Let not just to be one of the best best picture you know nominees to lose. Yeah, I, reading that Oscar Wars book, I had no idea it, it stood a chance. I didn't think it was well received at all at the time. I thought its nomination was kind of a just kind of a gimme, but apparently it really was in the running. So that makes this kind of hurt even more. But I mean, everything you said, we I don't know, if we can say anything with the film textbooks and all our film professors and everybody hasn't said, but it's to so take it back to Whiplash. Talk about how you make a debut, um, just upend everything, make something completely unlike anything seen before something that's going to be aped and imitated and i have had a lot of conversations just about its place at the top you know it's it's number one on afi's best movies list for decades it was number one on sight and sounds and i talk to people all the time about why that is and i always think it kind of comes back to its its theme what it's what it's about you know the the best movie ever probably needs to have something story-wise that is a universal thing and that's citizen kane the the whole movie is What's your legacy? What is it that makes you, you? And the way that it dissects those questions is immaculate and wonderful, exciting. I, I really like watching it. I, you know, for years felt like I was trying to convince people I actually really loved it. And it wasn't just because I was required to say it because I liked movies. I, it's entertaining as hell. I love it. Uh, yeah, not on my list. Um, far be it for me to say anything negative about Citizen Kane, and you're not going to get that out of me. Uh, it's you know, probably the greatest film ever made. Um, that's just not the approach I took for this list. Uh, I, I, I threw the, I threw the textbook out for this one and I, I picked 10 films that mean something to me personally, in addition to being essential viewing and, and as wonderful as this and can is, it just doesn't mean anything to, it doesn't, doesn't speak to my, to my person, you know? Um, and, uh, I think the only thing I have left to say is how green was my valley is a beautiful film. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> um, probably coming as no surprise. Um, in, in our socials outreach, this one was by far the one that most people voted as the most essential best picture loser, including Revisionist Almanac's very own Andrew Corns, who said, uh, while it might not be right at the top of my personal favorite movies ever, Citizen Kane is perhaps the single most important best picture loser of all time. Its influence in the filmmaking of today remains just as strong now over 80 years since it originally released. And um, Steve G also said, realistically, the pick is Citizen Kane. But I'd add the Shawshank Redemption, 12 Angry Men, and Roman Holiday to the discussion. So he threw in a, a bit of another list, but he kind of is aligned with us that this is, he kind of feel like it has to be the pick, which is a bit why it's down at number six for me. While I do love it, it's, I'm a bit in that camp, Kieran, that I'm like, they're, they're, as much as I love Citizen Kane, there are movies that I'm going to watch more for me. But it's, it's hard to argue that this is the one that most folks are going to think of when they read the title of this episode. Cool. Anything else on Citizen Kane? It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> All right, Kieran, I got to get some points for you, man. I'm hoping I can get these last two. What's number two? 
Okay, number two. And it's funny, like I, I went Adam, uh, went back and forth with Adam on my back five, but now in the front, I'm just getting ones that he's already mentioned that are, we're bringing up again. So this is one that was brought up. And uh, this is, man, probably the best movie ever made of just people sitting in a room. Uh, it's not easy to stand alone against the ridicule of others. It's 1957's 12 Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet. Oh, my. Oh, my, oh, my. What a film. Um, talk about a film that gets better every time you see it. Uh, there's never a bad time of day. There's never a mood you can have where this movie's on that you're not, uh, you're not ready to watch it. It's, it's as watchable as a film gets. Um, again, there's no slow part of it. There's no pee break in 12 Angry Men. They take 12, uh, characters who we know only as numbers, uh, amongst a dozen and they build, they build 12 wonderfully succinct personalities that you get as a viewer, that you understand where they're coming from, but you're not sure when or where they're going to make the switch. And watching the process unfold is just, it's, it's cinematic magic. And uh, I, I proudly uh, hold this as not just one of my favorite films, but what I believe is one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, 12 Angry Men. Here, here. Uh, this was on my list this morning. It, it was another one of those terrible ones to cut. Um, and it, it really only got cut for... Logistical reasons. Um, one was I already had a Sidney Lumet movie in with Network, and I didn't want to budge Network because of the seventiesness of it. And I also, you know, it was Sunset Boulevard and Twelve Angry Men, and I just had to go with my Billy Wilder love. But it, Twelve Angry Men is the I, for for what you just said that it's so small. It's it's in that vein of like this is not what a Best Picture winner is. It's it's a play. It's a filmed play. But it, I, in my opinion, it's the best stage of screen adaptation i'll defer to adam for that but like everything you said it's it's one of the best oh it's i mean it's definitely up there um and i i have to double check my research but i think it only became a stage play after the teleplay um so it didn't oh. actually originate as a play it does it, it gets staged very frequently now but no, it's, it's again, the power of putting people in a room with a good story, you know, and you, that you can, and, and unlike something like uh streetcar, which they, they obviously leave the house and they explore more of, of new Orleans. I mean, this is just in, in that juror room. Um, and I think, I think the way at which it, it, you, you kind of talk about hope in Fargo. And I think what this does is it shows that like people should be able to have a conversation about something and see all, all sides of it. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to get political, but like, it's so easy. It's become so easier now to just say, no, that this is it. And that's that. And that's what I'm going to see. And it's like, but boy, I gotta tell you that gray area is real big. It's a real big area. And if we just explored that a little more, we might actually see that we're not as different as we think we are. Um, and it's, well yeah, it's a real, it's a real conversation movie. Um, yeah. And as, as you know, as I could, I could see a little bit of the hokiness of it because of it, you know, things happen fairly fast and the way things come out, but like, you know, it still plays upon the fact that it's a film when, when, when Fonda pulls out the knife and throws it down, it's like, that's a great cinematic moment. I mean, it just is. 
No, I, th- I think that's why it still plays too, is like this, this idea resonates that because y- y- even the characters are like that. Most of them, they don't want to talk forever. They got ball games to get to. They, you know, it's hot, whatever. The only thing forcing them to explore this gray area is that they're literally locked in a room together. <laughs> and I think, you know, audiences still feel that to be like, wow, what, what would happen if this was your only option? You had to have a conversation with somebody. You had to have a conversation with somebody you'd vehemently disagreed with. And what if that wasn't butterflies and roses? What if it was ugly for a long time before you got anywhere? It's, it killed me to cut it. It's, it's such a good pick, Kieran. Thank you for putting it on yours. And Adam, too. Adam Pick put it on his, too. That's what I forgot. Yes. Um, and, and I want to, uh, I just wanted to, on a closing note with it, um, you know, at Best Picture Cast at the end, we grade um, one to fives on um, performances, three sections, performances, uh, how the movie's shot and how the story's told. And, you know, this has come up in conversation is, is that how the movie's shot, in order to be a five out of five, a perfect score, you don't have to be Lawrence of Arabia. You know, you don't have to be, um, Adam, an episode that you were on, uh, out of Africa. You know, you don't have to take the camera crew to some exotic land and make this big grand thing. You can do it in a room. You can make one of the best shot movies in the history of film in a room. It's, there's an art to it and there's a poetry to it. And 12 Angry Men is the example. Um, using the, the, through each act, using a different um, f- film lens to to project claustrophobia um it's yeah it's just it's it's one of the great ones man it's one of the great ones if you haven't seen it please 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 do it next that's what you should do next (laughs) well said okay and uh now we can talk about it gents dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bond is my number two pick there is a cinemas on this there is a 1001 by one on this. There's, there's a lot of places you can hear us talk about it. Um, so just to kind of cap my thoughts, it, it is my favorite Kubrick hands down. He's, he's a guy who regrettably doesn't have a lot of best picture nominations. He has more director nominations than picture. Um, this is one of them, but to me, even if all of them were nominated, this is the one I'd go with to make a movie, this nonsensical, this farcical to have it actually be as smart to be as hard hitting, to be as terrifying as it is. Um, it is, it is a balancing act of tone. Unlike anything else, the world of cinema has ever seen. It's just a perfect movie. And I don't know how much more I could say about it. that hasn't already been said, but, um, Adam, I think you also had this one. I did. Yeah. That was my number four. I, I, a couple of things I guess I'll say is I, I've got to the point with Kubrick where I'm not even sure what my favorite Kubrick film is, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and, and I do think I don't, I don't really throw this around, but I do, I do think he's a master filmmaker. And it wasn't until I think when we did 2001, um, that I had caught up on the movies I hadn't seen. And then I had seen the killing and I was like, Oh wow. Well, that's a really good movie too. I don't know what my favorite Kubrick movie is. Um, and I think the reason why this one went so high is because I think, I don't know, it's hard to make this statement. I think Kubrick is more known for his serious films. Um, but like the fact that, I mean, this movie has two of my just absolute favorite moments in any movie that has just ever existed. In the scene where the president is trying to talk to the guy in Russia, it's like, well, Dimitri, we had a bit of a problem well 
somebody got control of the bomb, Dimitri. And just that whole like that whole conversation is so well, let me finish, Dimitri. It's let just, me finish. It's just turn the music. Oh, down. it's so great. It's so great. And like and and the thing that people don't really know about comedy, and unless you you know you you act and you're in it, is that if you're in on the joke, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, and that's why certain comedies just fail because if the actors are in on the joke, it's not going to work. So the fact that we have Sterling Hayden so seriously talking about his bodily fluids, he's not in on the joke. Do you know what I mean? He's fucking so yeah. serious, he- and that's what makes it work so well and he is shot i remember saying this on the episode he is framed like a a statue bust of like a greek god like everything about (laughs) his performance and the way he's framed screams serious authority figure i I mean even george c scott is over the top as he goes like all all of it all of it it's it's unbelievable kieran regan jump in uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun listening to you guys geek out about it. Um, you know, this is, this is a new, uh, this is a new movie to my, uh, repertoire here. I, I saw it for the first time with, within the past year and, um, loved it. Uh, great performances. George C. Scott's my favorite part of the film. I think he just, he just, he just crushes it. Um, uh, this is a, this is a BPC darling. Uh, yeah, RDB has it on his top 10 favorite list. Joey R is one of his favorite movies ever. Uh, so it's one we talk about quite often, and uh, our most recent episode coming out is on My Fair Lady, which took it out. Um, that for, for the best nerve, <laughs> the freaking nerve. <laughs> I'm not gonna say whether I think My Fair Lady I is a beautiful swear, film. If, or not. if it's a beautiful film, I'm, I'm reaching I, through this camera. I'm not. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the episode to drop. You'll have to hear my thoughts on the episode as to whether My Fair Lady oh, is a beautiful film or not. I'm not so saying great. a word that's about. That's so great. And you'll hear me scream across the void. Oh, man. No, it's... To, to round up, Adam, something you said, Kubrick's known for his serious films. You know, if you like Kubrick, you have to like the serious ones. To me, this is w- just one of the many reasons it's my favorite of his, is this is the nexus. The next movie he does is 2001. That's the move where he becomes serious, trippy, philosophical Kubrick. He's, he's got deep thoughts and strange love. Don't let the fact that it's ridiculous, fool you, that it's not about a boatload of incredibly pertinent, life-altering stuff. But it is also him at the tail end of his studio work, where he could work in a genre. He could make a killer noir robbery movie with the killing. He could make a great studio war movie with Paths of Glory. He could, he could do a sword and sandals epic with Spartacus. Like This is the nexus where I think everything in his power shines and he pulls off something unlike anything that has been pulled off since or i think ever will be and that's that's the hyperbolic bomb i'll drop to to end it um before we get to number one we've got to ratchet up some tension we have a few final listener blurbs and we have one more darling a piece i've saved them for this spot just to blow the lid off if any of us were still holding out hope that something is going to earn us points on our guessing game this will be uh the moment to take the rug out um, so, so real quick, guys, if we could, we have two final listener blurbs here. So Cinema Recall uh, says that they still think that La La Land should have won over Moonlight at the 2017 Oscars. It was a gorgeous Technicolor musical about chasing your dreams. Moonlight had great acting and story, but it's not as iconic as La La Land. If you would like to know my La La Land's fo- thoughts, you can listen to a thousand one by one. Uh, it's fine. If I may. It's fine. Yes, please. 
that episode of a thousand one by one not as vicious as i expected it to be because i i, I don't i had my angry email ready to type i don't hate are. it i don't hate it it just is not better than moonlight mm. i la la land would have got my vote but i do love moonlight it, it's a it's a good year but i i do love me some la la land i just second mike what he said there um both good movies i would have voted la la land oh, and and the podcast you got plenty of joey r Calling La La Land the greatest movie ever made, so I'm sure that that kept you, that kept you happy. Um, all right, uh, Kieran. Yeah. Um, so the 1999 podcast or 1999 the podcast sounds like a great uh, idea for a podcast. By the way, it's great one, movie year. One I got to check out. Uh, they go for the thin red line. Not a 1999 movie, 1998 movie, but they say Saving Private Ryan should have won over Shakespeare in Love, obviously. But the thin red line. Should have won over both of them. There we go. Little Terrence Malick take there. A take I hear often, actually. Not one I personally agree with, but I really, I love that it's in there. I love how different Private Ryan and Thin Red Line are and that they were in the same race together. Like, they're, they're really good companion pieces. And then you had, uh, you had Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love in the kind of the same... Uh... Well, it's a and weird year. Throw in life is beautiful, and you, it's World War II when it's Elizabethan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. it is. Yep. Yeah, that was what it was. What we were into in '98. <laughs> Excellent. Um, thank you guys, and thanks to all you listeners who who chimed in. We love hearing your picks, and sorry those uh, apparently aren't making our our number one picks, but we're we're glad you guys went to bat for them. Speaking of things that didn't make our number one picks, our final darlings, Kieran. What is your final pick? Or we've talked about it. Yeah, we did. It was it was uh, it was sandwiched into your pick there, Fargo. Eighth grade Karen had to shout that out there. But I will. I have to throw. I'll throw something else. I'll cheat and throw an extra one on top, just to, just to shout out because um, I saw your selections for me, uh, Mike, as to what you thought I would pick, and this one was on there. And I tried I'm doing great. I tried like hell to get this one in my top ten, and and it's a movie that that Adam referenced earlier. And for the listeners at home, just to lift the curtain, when I first connected with Mike about coming on Cinemas, this was the movie I wanted to do. Uh, Mike gave uh, gave me the veto because it was too contemporary. <laughs> but uh, Bradley Cooper's a star is born. I mean, come on, you know. Um, maybe was, maybe if I win, that was this one of my picks for you, dude. That was one of it's on, both it's of on you mine guys. too. Yeah, no, we yeah. we thought we had. I you. tried like hell. I really tried like hell. But maybe if I win this competition, you can hear me talk about it for maybe. You know, maybe like it wasn't maybe maybe yeah. it wasn't beautiful enough to make the list, Gary. <laughs> Please, if you do it, please pick that. Don't make me watch Dr. Zhivago or English Patients. <laughs> There's no way English great. Patients in the book. It is, absolutely it is. is. Oh, what a book. Yeah. What a book. <laughs> what a book. It's great. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, that's fantastic. Um, Adam, the final darling. Okay, so, man, I, I, I wanted to go with another 90s one. I did go with another 90s one, but and I, it became very hard. I was so close to picking The Fugitive, but... Instead, I decided to tell you, uh, tell you both that you can't handle the truth, and I'm bringing up a few good men. Uh, I am surprised. Oh, really? I, I, I don't know, like, surprised. Like, now that you say it, I'm like, oh, that's great. But, like, there, there's just ones that just I kind of glossed over, and I was like, good movie, not going to be part of the conversation in, in any capacity. But no, no. Oh, I, I, had both, uh, I had both on my Adam shortlist. Yeah. Um I I totally dig this movie. Um 
it's something that we're not gonna we're never gonna see this Tom Cruise again. Uh it's just not gonna happen. So I like I like that we have it. I like that we have it on on film. Uh great supporting ensemble. I mean, even down to like JT Walsh and Noah Wiley just coming in and doing like little small bits. Um Christopher Guest doing one scene as the medical examiner. Um I I I think everybody is great in the movie. It is this is over the top law movie, and I dig it. I dig every second of it. Um and just what I mean, come on. What an iconic scene between Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. I just I I I love it. And another another this was originally a stage play. They made into a movie and the stage play as written is not great. They actually they really improve upon the twists in the movie. So Few Good Men, Rob Reiner, everybody else very good. That's what I was about to say. You say, you know, we'll never see this Tom Cruise again. I what I'm more sad about is we'll never see this Rob Reiner again cuz man, he had he had a good run. He had a good two decades. I don't know what happened. He sure did. Yep. Yeah, bring it back to the bacon too. Kevin Bacon, great, great yes. solid performance yep. in that one too. Yeah. You're a lousy fucking softball player, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I I I still hold out hope that we have one last little swan song with with Tom Cruise in a dramatic piece like that. Would that. Be great. I, I, think, I think we do. That'd be great. I think we will. I think it's there too. And I think he knows, I think he's keeping it from us and he's gonna he's gonna hit it with us. I I hope. You know, gonna, even if we just get a magnolia out of it. He's gonna, you know? he's gonna fucking, he's gonna do Julius Caesar one day. Just be like, wow, that was something. <laughs> Look at that. Cruz just did Julius Caesar and he nailed it. Uh, oh, I love it. That's a great pick. And great overwrought Aaron Sorkin script. Again, fantastic. I love it. Um, well, gents, my number one darling, um, you've seen that my pick for the 80s is E.T., so I am hoping to break some hearts here. Do you guys want to say it for me? Is it fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders yeah, of the Lost Ark. My absolute number one favorite movie of all time. We, we may never have a cinemas on it because I'm too scared to. How do you talk about the best movie ever? <laughs> this one goes out to Adam. I broke my pen. Um, I literally just broke my pen. <laughs> It's, um, and the reason it's in the Darlings and not the official is that, again, that essential tag never stood a chance. It's, it's honor is that it even got nominated. No secret. It burns me to no ends. Chariots of Fire is the thing that beat. Chariots of Fire is one of the rare ones where the worst nominee is the one that wins. I would take any of the others over. Uh, you know, my personal preference, if one of the serious ones had to win would be Atlantic City, but I would have taken Reds. I would have taken on Golden Pond, but Raiders, I talk about it someday. Just everything I want out of a movie. I don't need to explain why it's great because most most of the world loves it. There's a couple exceptions, and I hope to have them on the show when I work up the guts to talk about it someday. But just just love me, Raiders. It's my favorite movie, and would love to visit an alternate dimension where the Academy just had some fun and gave it the gold. You're certainly not going to get it's an a it's a beautiful film for Chariots of Fire out of me. I'll tell you that. That's, <laughs> Thank you. Can, it, Finally, yeah, I'll, let, I'll, I'll I'll end as a good guy there on it's that good, one. It's good to know there's a bottom on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Raiders is is um I, I'm not quite in the Adam uh, park of 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 really not liking it or or whatever his take is there. I'll let him speak for himself. But he uh, loves it so much it hurts. Yeah. It was one that was on all the time as a kid. I've always kind of been a Temple of a Doom guy. I'm sorry. Uh oh Temple of Doom's great. Um but it's one maybe I think maybe I just have to give it a true like adult revisit because I mean kind of like E. T. It's like I watched it so much as a kid that it you know as an adult it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. 
but I, I will. I'll, I'll give Raiders a, a, a true shake again. And well, don't, we'll see. don't give it an adult revisit. That's the wrong road to take. And, and the thing is, like, craft-wise, yes. I'll stand by everything, that everything a movie should be, it, it nails. It's, it's got a great script. It's got great production design, editing, and all that. But the, the way to its heart is, it isn't a deep movie. <laughs> I've, I've tried so hard to force myself to be like, no, there's, there's a hidden layer. <laughs> there's not. It's a, it's a good versus evil adventure story, and you just got to, you run with that. Yeah. And you own it, and sometimes, you know, I just say, that's what I want the best movie ever to be. <laughs> For me. For me. How you doing, Adam? I'm good. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> you broke your pen though I, I sure did I sure did I'm using the inner part of it now because that's all I have left <laughs> well great um, so that so that gets some things out of the way some points we know we're not going to score but maybe there's there's still hope here so here we are to it the number one most essential best picture loser Adam I think I know it but I want to hear you say it if uh, come on, if if this I was a I gimme, I mean, come on. <laughs> this yeah, this was. I would have guessed this over movies on my list that I yeah wrote. yeah. Uh, so it's a little movie that came out in 1994 uh, by Quentin Tarantino. It's called Pulp Fiction. Boy, what a movie! What a movie this was. Um, I think I have you beat a little bit, Kieran. Though I saw this when I was in the fifth grade. Um, ah. with with no parental supervision. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just. You know, I, 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 I watch movies now wanting, wanting like my, my favorite movie of all time to get beaten. You know, I, I want to see the next movie that blows me away. And, and certainly I've seen movies that I, I love and make me think and get me engaged, but like nothing, nothing tops this for me. It is, it is so unique in its storytelling in its, in its filmmaking uh, uh, the, the perform again, I talk about the huge ensemble cast, uh, coming into play for this. I talked for quite a bit on, on Cinemust, uh, God, years ago now. That's, that's, yeah. that's a sad thing to say. Um, Real early. but, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, there's just, this was, you know, w- when we think about like history of anything, like we look for these, like these watershed moments and like Pulp Fiction as a movie coming out, like, I, I truly think it's the film that defines the nineties. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's my favorite movie. And it, so thus, of course, is my favorite best picture loser and, and essential viewing, I believe. To, and to be fair, I actually agree with you. Like in, in a, in a world where I'm keeping to my list and it's like one movie a decade, Pulp Fiction is my nineties. I just, I knew you were going to do it. So I just had to go with Fargo. But, you know, if, if it's just me out here and everyone's like, what's the one essential best picture loser from the 90s? I, too, say Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and have to second it. I mean, it. I I think I put it on my first version of my short list, but was never going to select it just because I knew we would be talking about it here today. Um, Adam iced it out. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, listen, it is probably the film of the 90s. It's it's a career-making film for, for Tarantino and... For a lot of other filmmakers who had influenced, um, you know, we can go beyond just the best picture. I mean, Samuel L. probably should have a statue out of that one. Um, they did get the screenplay, thank God. Uh, but there's probably this is a, this is another movie that in another year could have won six or seven Oscars. Like it really could have. A year later, it's that same thing. Yeah. Push it off one year. Braveheart's not taking this thing down. Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, maybe you not never know. Braveheart. 
I second it all. You know, Adam, on that episode you and I did, you know, one of my points I voted it a must-see is I felt it's the last truly revolutionary movie. I don't feel like anything has made that big a splash. And there's been big splashes. That's not to diminish what's been accomplished the last couple of decades, but that just, it feels like nothing like that's ever going to happen again. I, it's, it's, uh, I'll keep this short. When I teach theater history, most theater history books basically end uh, when Angels in America what came out that was 1992-993 they made the hbo miniseries version i don't i'm not going to pontificate on that but like obviously there have been plays and things that have happened since angels in america that have been great but in terms of like watershed moments in theater like that was like the last big thing you could say hamilton now maybe but like angels in america i think i mean this is possibly a bold statement i think the closest we've gotten is parasite i do but i i think that pulp fiction yeah. really is that that last big watershed game-changing moment in film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well said, and I, I will say this about Tarantino's films in general and it, Pulp Fiction's leading the way is they're truly fun to revisit. And, you know, there's a lot of times when you're like these films that, Oh God, you know, it's been 10 years since I've seen this. I really should check it out again. I really should give it, it's never a chore with him. It really isn't. And you can say what you want about him. You can say what you want about his, um, his, his tone or his, the temperament of his films or the language or the violence of his films. But there is, especially when you've gotten past the point where you know where the violence is coming and when you know where the offensive language is coming and you know anything that might throw you off, that's when it gets fun because it's, it's a ride. It's a roller coaster ride. It's an amusement park ride. And it's, it's one you don't mind waiting online to get, to get on the ride for. Uh, fantastic number one pick. Um, Kieran, I also think I know it, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a good poker player here with this one. Uh, my film is from the same year, guys, uh, 1994. Uh, lots of fists pumping around the world. It's um, <laughs> another first film, another first film from the director. It's starring Morgan Freeman. It's starring Tim Robbins. It is. Frank Darabont's The Shawshank Redemption, based on a Stephen King novella, is my favorite film of all time. It is the movie that made me fall in love with cinema. We have a Best Picture Cast episode on it. Um, is there not a 1001 or a Cinemust episode on Shawshank? Cinemust, Cinemust does. It's paired up with Cool Hand Luke. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, yes. Good episode, but no 1001 on it. Um, yeah, I mean, we want to talk about allegories, um, about... Um, you know, tackling whatever sort of inner demons you might be dealing with, uh, whether it's depression, whether it's addiction, whether it's, um, you know, uh, really anything. Um, it's it's all summed up in the line, and we've talked about hope here with a few of these movies, but remember, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. And uh, I, you know, I think it's a movie that suffers from uh, overexposure, maybe that people don't um, really hold it in that same top of the tier uh, regard uh, when we talk about the history of film, you know, because it is the TNT film. It's the um, you know, it's everybody's uncle's favorite film, um, you know, and I'm proud to be the uncle that uh, has it as his. So, uh, it, it's a great movie. It's actually a movie uh, that. A friend of mine in high school probably introduced to me, um, bought me the DVD, because uh, even then I was a weird physical media guy. And um, uh, 
Uh, and I, I, I've, I mean, I've always enjoyed the performances. I've always thought it, it's a fun mystery to try to unravel. And again, it's a, it's a movie of really iconic moments. I mean, you could pick any number of them. Um, but when he, when he plays, when he plays the opera over the speakers, I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's, there are so many great things being done in the movie and this might be a weird thing to say. There are very few films about male friendship. Um, yeah. And like, it's really, it's like, no, no, it's just a really, at, at its core, I think there's a really sweet story being told about how random it is. The, the friends that you make in this world, you know, um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, very, very cool. And on that note, um, you know, this was one, this was an episode we had in our first year at Best Picture Cast. And this was like the one that Ian Woodington reached out to me about and was like, you know, I really dug your episode on this. Like you guys, you really, and, and, you know, he's a tough critic. We know, we, we know Ian is, he would be, be like, well, you guys should be the, but that's when he was really, you guys are, you guys nailed it with this one. And uh, that, that meant a lot to me on that. And, and to what you were saying also, Mike, is if you can find someone in your life who hasn't seen this film and watch it with them, it's really a treat because <laughs> there's, it's, it, it takes you on this, this, this twist and turn odyssey and, uh, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, it's great. Yeah. So that's great. Number, number one, one pick. Love it. I wish my number one came from 1990. I wish I could say quiz show. The quiz show <laughs> is, is good, but, um, four weddings and a funeral. Yeah. Four weddings and a funeral. You know what? I, I wish I could, but, um, the, the one decade I allowed myself to double dip from, had to be the 1940s, uh, which had the most shortlisted out of all movies in my research. Um, we are coming full circle here. This movie showed up on Adam St. John's list. It was his number 10, but it is my number one. And my number one most essential best picture loser is Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Second favorite movie. So Raiders doesn't make my list. Raiders is my favorite movie. It's a Wonderful Life is my second favorite movie. So I felt I still had this one is for me um, because from a film craft point of view, you know, if there's a 40s pick, yeah, it's Citizen Kane is the most essential. But for me, and kind of the same idea, movies about the same things. Your life has value. What makes you, you? Um, Citizen Kane, about a, a billionaire, somebody who's, you know, could have been a good man if he wasn't so rich. It's a Wonderful Life about somebody who's a good man, kind of because he isn't rich. As sappy and saccharine as they come, but damn it, heartwarming, immaculately put together. Plumbing some really dark depths never gets enough credit for being as dark as it can be in points. Um, it's it's just my go-to. I need I need to appreciate a great movie. I or I'm feeling sick. I just need a feel-good movie. I need to see James Stewart on screen right now because I just have those moments where I need to see James Stewart on screen. It's a Wonderful Life. Easy number one choice for me. Never batted an eye. Yeah, I had this at 10. Um, this one, and I feel like this is something I hear more and more with this movie. This came to me late, way late uh, in my, my movie-going experience. Me too. Um, I actually had the good fortune of playing George Bailey in a production of It's a Wonderful Life, um, which, was, which is daunting in a way, especially when you get to the, you know, I want to live, I want to live uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of the story. Um, but yeah, what a, I mean, it, 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 it's a heartwarming story. It's very, and it's very fun too. like the whole courting her at the dance and falling in the pool. It's just like, it's just kind of ridiculous too, in a very fun way. Um, and, and, uh, and it, it, it helps if you have kids and if you have a family and stuff and you, you start to wonder like, am I doing enough for them? Like it really tugs at a lot of 
great kind of family sentimental drama. And um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good movie. Good, good Capra. I was glad to see it on your list. Yeah. Uh, also came to me late in life. I just saw this for the first time, uh, I think two years ago or so. This is my brother's favorite movie of all time. Uh, and um, just, yeah, I mean, listen, a, a wonderful one. It's one I'm going to try to watch every every Christmas and try to, you know, even though it's not really fully a Christmas film, it's not, you can watch nope. it in August and be just fine. You know, um, you don't need to, you don't need to have the Christmas tree up to watch it. Uh, but yeah, a, a good one for sure. Love me some, some James Stewart. And I will, I'll have to say, I think all of our number ones were pretty predictable. I didn't, uh, the, <laughs> the first movies I wrote down for each of you were your ones. So. Well, ditto, ditto for you guys. Um, so there we have it. Our top 10 most essential best picture losers. Now, guys, before we tally up the final points here, I wonder if we'd like to go through our list to talk about the ones that did not get mentioned. If we have any thoughts on them or, you know, just anything we wanted to say and maybe, maybe taking them a person at a time. So Adam, since you've been up first on everything, maybe Kieran and I will go through, uh, our just list of predictions for you. Talk about guesses we had that we missed on. Great. Um, so Adam, I, I scored five on you. I, I predicted four, so I did better on you than I thought. I missed, um, Mystic River, I had as, as a bit of a safety on you, but I felt pretty good about that. I, I thought The Graduate was coming up, man. You hosted a cinema sonnet. I thought we were going to get some 60s love for Dustin Hoffman. I thought somewhere in there we could get um, some Martin McDonough, and I picked three billboards for it over Banshees of Inisherin. This one was a wild card. I have no reason for it. Brokeback Mountain, I thought maybe might come up. That one was a pretty wild guess. And Goodwill Hunting, I thought was going to come from you, not from Kieran. Yeah, everything I had, uh, everything that Mike mentioned was on my short list for Adam. Um, the one, so I, I got six. I got six out of the ten. I, I know, I know me, me some Adam St. John here. Uh, I, I nailed Citizen Kane, 12 Angry Men, Dr. Strangelove, Goodfellas, Social Network, and Pulp Fiction. Um, my other four guesses were Fargo, uh, which was, um, was that, did that make one of your darlings or no? No, that wasn't one of mine. You didn't no. have that? Yeah. Okay. I had LA Confidential on there. I thought maybe you'd have a little 90s love there. Sideways. Um, and, uh, and Michael Clayton, I just threw it out there. <laughs> no, that, that was almost one of my darlings. I wanted to bring it up because like, oh, seven again was like stacked. Like, I yeah, mean, I, Michael Clayton, Michael Clayton rips. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, let's talk Kieran picks. Adam, do you want to go through your picks for Kieran? What didn't land for you? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I guess the star is born, which obviously just kind of was on the, out, outskirts there i didn't know if i'd get some kind of john ford so i guess grapes of wrath um <laughs> okay well, it was on my short list go. it was there it was right um, there so uh, i guess sunset boulevard for you um not for mike which you know that that's a good ass kicker there i guess strange love that was my ron kubrick and um I remembered on your shelf you had Giant, so I guessed Giant. <laughs> so that's still haven't watched it yet, but it it could potentially <laughs> there, there potentially be there. Could be number one. Yeah, it could be. Could be. See each, there, each there guess one that I haven't seen. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I I came in all swagger saying I got six of Kieran's, no question. I wound up with two correct for I guess Shawshank and Goodwill Hunting for Kieran. Um, so the eight, I totally swing and a miss on. I also did Star is Born. I thought all the 
I just that surprised me. Yeah. I wanted to. Um, I also I had Mystic to. River for you. I just wanted to cover the bases. I thought there had to be a Clint Eastwood on there for Kieran, and it had to be Mystic River, so I missed that. Um, I thought if someone was going to cover this, it was going to be Kieran. Saving Private Ryan, not on anybody's list. A bit of a surprise. No one's list. Um, but definitely a, a future episode of Cinema Master 1001 by 1. Fargo, I was close at Major Darlings. And, and, uh, and Mystic River made my darlings, too. So you did guess two of my uh, okay, darlings. Okay, so I was so close. I was close. Um, Jaws, I kind of, I felt like maybe you could, you could help me out there and do Jaws. I also guess Grapes of Wrath for the same reason. I felt like some BPC John <laughs> love Ford that. love. I, I love thought it. Grapes of Wrath would shine too. One of my favorite books of all time. So let's see. And I messed up. I swapped, I swapped movies. I had Goodfellas for Kieran, um, because I thought you were more entrenched in the, uh, the BPC argument there. So I, I picked you for that. Yeah. I should have picked Adam. And the last one, this was, this was just a Hail Mary, but you like baseball. I put Field of Dreams. And you haven't seen it, so. No, I've never seen Field That's the one that people are like, you have never seen Field of Dreams? You, like, do baseball for a living? It's like, yeah, that's why I don't watch movies about it. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So I, got, I got four yeah. from Kieran. That, that was what I got. Okay. Right, so you got four and, and you two. Yeah, so I, um, so now we're on Mike here, right? And Mike, I got, I believe I got five for you here. Um, I nailed uh, Wizard of Oz, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, Sunset Boulevard, and Mad Max Fury Road. So those are the five picks. Now, the other ones I picked, I picked this one because I, I thought that you were going to have some fun with Adam on this one um, and pick uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I, I, thought did, you I, would, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going pedal to metal on that one. So, Did you come close? I really wanted to. I really, like, it, it was definitely in like, my top 15. Uh, my problem was I didn't have time to give it a rewatch. So I didn't feel okay. like I, I could come in guns blazing without recent ammo. And, and then you know, with that, I was close to putting on my darlings, but I was like, ah, I, I need Beauty and the Beast there. So, yep. Mm. It was close. It was yeah. close. Um, because I know that you're the, you're the big Spielberg guy, I had you pegged as the Saving Private Ryan guy. I, I, as did I. As did so I. So we all, we all betrayed each other. Somebody was going to do it, and we all thought it would be the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I will say it, I came close. I did come close Me too. Uh, to putting it on mine. Um, uh, I had you for Star Wars. I thought you'd, we'd be talking Star Wars through you there. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I had you on. That was one of your darlings. And then the last one there uh, was uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. I thought maybe mm. you'd go a little Lord <laughs> of the Rings on us. Oh, wow, Kieran, I thought the same thing. Okay, yeah. so here's, yeah. here's the thing I thought. If, if Return of the King hadn't won... There's a pretty real possibility that Fellowship of the Ring would have been my pick. But because Lord of the Rings does have Oscar wins and Oscar love, and those wins are really for the trilogy, I, I wanted to talk more There Will Be Blood. But yeah, that was a good one. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. So I, so yeah, Kieran, so I, I like, I thought Saving Private Ryan and Lord of the Rings. Uh, I thought you'd have Goodfellas. I thought you'd have a Scorsese. Raiders of the Lost Ark, obviously. I thought, I thought you'd have The Graduate for similar <laughs> reasons. And then the, the last one, and I God, I really thought I really thought this was going to be on your list, um, given the the westerns and just kind of how con- how iconic it is. I had you pegged for High Noon. Um, yeah. I really thought that was going to make it. B- between that and Stagecoach, like those those are both like my two. Yeah, I I didn't just feel good enough it, using the decade system that was going to bump some good fifty stuff out. But that is that is a pretty solid pick for me and a another set of rules i would have made for myself and and just speak star wars star wars is really my 70s pick if the list is for me 
it's just it's too it's too adventure it's too fun it's not that this is the 70s it's kind of the anti-70s so my love for star wars is well documented there's a whole big old long show about it it's a it's (laughs) absolutely one of the quintessential 70s just didn't fit the vibes for the category i was putting it into so adam what did you score on on i got four i got four four for both of you okay Okay, okay, so hang on. Kieran, will you remind me one more time? What did you get for Adam? I believe I got six of Adam and five on Mike. All right, gentlemen. Well, that, that actually was a pretty fun game. So let, it, let us do the tallies here. In last place, with seven correct answers, most of them for Adam is me. <laughs> Silver medal with eight correct is Adam, meaning our winner is Kieran B. with 11 accurate picks. Yes. Over 50% for each person. That is impressive. What do you have to say for yourself? I guess I just listen to your guys' stuff more than you listen to mine. Like, so, <laughs> wow. You're, I'm a more dedicated a friend. friend and listener. <laughs> no, um, I listen. Um, I painstakingly uh, put this. I'm mad that I missed uh, There Will Be Blood on both of you, too. I had it on both of your shortlists, too. That, that ticks me off. But hey, a win's a win. Um, no, it's this is this is um this is fun. This is this is great. Um I uh I guess I'm a little honored that uh you know I I um have taken in your uh your content both of you guys both of your podcasts. But to be completely honest, you know, to be here doing uh, this with you guys is extremely cool for me because when I started a podcast, started Best Picture Cast, um and I kicked around listening to other pods just to kind of get some inspiration or whatnot went through plenty of them where i'm like nope 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 and 1000 and one by one and cinemas were the two that i kind of landed on i'm like yes these guys get it this is this is um this is my vibe here so the fact that i'm sitting here talking to you guys is so cool and um yeah and i'm i'm you know happy that i uh, won this little competition too because winning is always uh is always fun shoot man feelings more than mutual any any ideas? You you have carte blanche for your next cinema appearance. Oh, I think Anything I know what it is. List? I think are, I know what it is. Are you feeling like sharing, or do you want to? Uh, yeah, I'm going to share. I'm going to share. Hold. Oh, here we go. Is it going to be a beautiful film? I have with me here my version of One Thousand and One by One, uh, the copy here, and it has uh, it has a beautiful film on it. It really does, <laughs> and it is. If I hold it up right here. All right, see, all right. It's B Coop and Gaga there serenading each other um and you know when i like i said when i first reached out to mike about coming on uh that's the one i wanted to do and you were like ah well little contemporary i like to let things sit i'm cranky i say maybe it's time to let the old ways die (laughs) and uh do something a little newer so i think i think i think it's a star is born 2018 that's what we do here i'm excited i gladly accept not that i have a choice but i really do (laughs) Now, will we pull Adam along with us here for it? I mean, though there's never been ah. a three-person cinema episode. Not on a regular show. I don't know. I think that's up to Mr. St. John. Oh, oh, sure. Why not? I'll be the, uh, I'll be the Chappelle of the crew. You know, he's in it for some reason, but we don't totally know why. <laughs> we don't yeah. know why. <laughs> I love it. Well, great. Look, look forward to Karen B's next appearance on Cinemas, where we will be discussing 2018's Best Picture nominee and loser... A star is born. Yes. I'm actually pretty excited. That could have gone ugly. Um, guys, 
it's it's been a long bloated prestigious show not unlike the oscars themselves but i couldn't ask for two better guys to share it with me i've i've had a blast i could do two more hours but it's late and um real quick my heartfelt thanks thank you so much for being on this inaugural um essentials category show i want to do two or three of these a year i hope to have you back bottom of my heart thank you you guys are golden if we could go around real quick, just for some quick plugs on your show so folks know where to get you in the meantime before we have you back on Cinemusts. Uh, start with you, Karen. Yeah, I mean, Best Picture Cast, you can get us uh, wherever you get your pods. We go through all the Best Picture winners. We sit and live in them. We do them long form. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We have some fun chatting them up. Uh, we're, we're about two-thirds our way through the list right now. We're chugging right along. We have uh, recently covered... Uh, My Fair Lady, which will be out um, probably around the same time as this one, or um, you're not. Oh no, you're just you're just. Uh, My yeah, Fair. So you're just shaking your head at me. My Slayer Lady, of Strange Love. <laughs> um, yeah, My Fair Lady. We we covered, and we'll have our, our fourth anniversary episode coming up, and it will be on the Hurt Locker. Yeah, 2009's the Hurt Locker. Um, that's gonna be fun. We also have our Gladiator, or must anticipate a Gladiator episode coming up soon. That should be fun, and uh, we'll have our, our, like I said, we do our tournaments too. I think Mike referenced earlier, and it's um, we'll be doing comedies this year. It's true out-and-out comedies. The only caveat is it could not have been nominated for any Oscars. That's the Crap. only caveat there, so that takes them out. But uh, yeah, Best Picture Cast, check us out. Excellent. Adam? Oh, boy. Uh, so you can hear me uh, on 1001 by 1, uh, very similar format to Mike's here on Cinemas. We use the book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, um, and we talk about them, and we we break them down. You have three really different voices on that with me, Britt, and Joey. Uh, we just recorded um, what will be the, the first episode of the fifth season, uh, which is our Edgar Wright ranking, so that'll be the first thing that we do. And then coming up after that, I think I have the order right, we'll have Aliens, uh, the follow-up to the Ridley Scott movie, uh, Sergeant Perfect. York, which is a movie uh, I've certainly have heard uh, about, um, and uh, will be uh, the, the and then the one after that will be Solaris. So we'll be coming back cool. to the world of Andre Tarkovsky. Very. They cool. mostly come at night. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> I love aliens. Don't do a hatchet job on that one like you did with uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> All right. Oof. I, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stewing. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to Cinemas. We uh, will be coming back to you. We have a fun little game going in February. Um, Kieran will be a part of it, actually. So, yeah, actually, Kieran, cool. your next appearance won't be A Star is Born, sorry to say. Uh, but in February, we are doing this thing I'm calling F in February. We have a couple of big-name directors whose last names all coincidentally start with the letter F. We've never covered them on Cinemas, so we're going to do a three-for. So... Kieran, you're going to be on for that to talk Milos Forman and his Best Picture winner, Amadeus. Getting a double dip from your episodes on Best Picture Cast on that. We will have Justin Herring from the Casual Cinecast back. He's going to be talking about Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. And from Kieran's competition, Maggie Kellett from the Best Picture Podcast will be on to talk about John Ford. And uh, oh boy, Adam and I sure love this movie. It's going to be The Quiet Man. Oh so, boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm gearing up. So. Uh, look forward to those three episodes from us in February, and uh, remember to keep tabs on us because it's up to you guys to vote if they're going to be considered essential must-sees or not. Adam and Kieran, it has been a hell of a three hours. You guys, thank you so much. Wish you all the best, and um, stay gold. Stay gold.